Welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I'm Jinx, your host. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. And gang, uh, as much as I would like both of you to introduce yourselves, as we typically do, I've already introduced you, so we can go ahead and spare that time so that I can ask you, why is it, after somebody makes a shitty movie that makes $140 million worldwide, mostly sapping nostalgia out of previous entries in the franchise, how is it? that they can lowball the lead of the franchise that they are leeching off of. How, what, what is, what's going on there? Allie, over to you. What the hell? Truly, once we lost Wes Craven for the Scream Spike franchise, it should have immediately reverted to ask Nev how this should go. Ask Nev what she wants to do with this. This is now her franchise. And now you're just going to be like, oh, you know what? We're not going to pay you what you're worth. And she's like, cool, then fuck you guys. She has every right to do that. Fuck scream. Paul, I, over to you. Why? Well, for a minute there, I thought you were going to tell me they were like underpaying the T-Rex in Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> but it's, it's I'm relieved to hear that uh, the dinosaurs are, are getting the money they should. No, but yeah, nobody no, it's, it's a shame underpays that, the T-Rex. Oh, <laughs> it's a shame that, uh, no, it's a shame that, that, that they would do that. And uh, I mean, I, it's no, it's no surprise here that I don't think any of us liked the new scream, right? <laughs> None of us thought it was good. No. Uh, so yeah, it's sort of adding insult to injury to uh, to to lowball her and essentially box her out of the new movie. Which I heard, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but floating around the the old interwebs, uh, mm-hmm. it, it sounded like the script very heavily featured her. Yeah, and apparently Kirby as well, which you would have had me. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again. I, 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 I didn't like you. how they were shoehorned into the last one. So I guess if you were going to make a movie with her in it again, you'd have to write the story around them. That would make sense. But I do find it funny now that they're going to have to completely reconfigure this movie that is coming out in what, less than a year. Yep. <laughs> it's No, I honestly, I think what's going to wind up happening they're they're going to have to eat crow and pony up the damn money. I mean, uh, and and good on her for actually taking it public and shaming mm-hmm. them, rightfully so, I think. Uh, but if they don't, if they don't get her back, I mean, I could have hemmed and hawed all I wanted to and said that I wasn't going to watch Scream 6 after how much I disliked 5. But let's be honest here. I was always going to watch the thing, just even yeah, out of morbid curiosity. But I got to tell you, if she's not showing up, like, and they actually, like, uh, uh, you know, insulted her and fans by not 
ponying up the cash and paying her what she's worth to come back to that movie, if they're not even going to do that, and it's following on the heels of, like, easily the franchise's worst entry, mm-hmm. folks, I may not watch the next movie. In fact, I'm thinking I probably won't. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I may not. I don't know. I say that, and then it's like, who knows what's going to happen, but um, it, it it would definitely put me off to it more than I already am, <laughs> which is quite a bit as it is, so I don't know. All right, I'm sorry for that. That was that was a, a bizarre opening, but I've just wanted to get that out there so we can oh, beat sorry. it up a little bit and, uh, you know, bury it in a shallow grave. Now that that's all aside, Allie, Paul, how have you both been? It's been a while since we've recorded. I've been good. Wow, I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm really happy to be back with with you guys. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's been like a really long time since we've talked, or at least it feels like that. Why is it? I think it's mostly my fault. But why is it the closer we're getting to the end, the longer it's taking us to finish up? You know what I mean? I like we're we're down to the last two or three Maybe. episodes of Hammer Pub, and uh, <laughs> it's well, just, it's... and don't forget we have like the special episodes at the end, right? We've got like the top ten we've got to do, and then like the comedy one. Like there'll be a few offshoot Hammer Pubs. Yeah, yeah, about that. And then uh, the public. So I had. I had an idea. I'm going to run this by you on the air. Allie, I'm sorry. Go ahead before I do. Oh, I was going to say, we should run a public poll to see what franchise we should do next. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. But then not listen to it and make our own decisions because we are not a slave to Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) So, here's my idea. Once, because it always, and I don't know why, but it always, it's, it's, I, I have... My OCD appears in very weird ways. So the idea of doing any comedy that wasn't actually Hammer, even if it's just like tangentially related, like tweaked me a little bit. Um, You know, it's the same with like going back and watching older Hammer that's not necessarily strictly horror with a capital H. So here's my idea. We finish up with The Lodge. We do one more final episode. Uh, where we do our top tens, top fives, whatever we're going to do, then that will be the end of Hammer Pub. And then we can do a limited run where we're not relegated to talking about horror comedies in the space of a single episode. And we can actually do a run of five or ten episodes talking about the very best horror comedies and devoting an entire episode to them and doing commentaries with them, much like we do now. I'd be down for that. I love horror comedies. Okay, so so you're suggesting we do a like a horror comedy sort of show in a way, but like a limited one? Exactly. As a matter of fact, that's kind of how I want Scream Addicts to go from now. I want to do limited runs that don't last a year and a half and that are a little more focused. <laughs> well, it's not your channel anymore, so... <laughs> Oh, wow. shit, I shattered a glass. I was going to say, does your neck still hurt? Like, It does. It does. <laughs> it really does. Ellie, uh, Ellie, no, Ellie overstepped, I guess. I really we will, overstepped my boundaries. We will, we <laughs> will hammer lot. out. We will hammer out the final details. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> sorry. We'll hammer out the finer details. That was not a slip of any sort. Uh, we'll hammer out the finer details. I was trying to do a pun, but I think I murdered it. 
but yes, no, because here's the thing. I want people, including us, to be excited about the fact that we are barreling toward the end here. We have the Woman in Black 2, Angel of Death, this evening. We are going to do The Lodge next, and then we get to do one last episode that encapsulates everything Hammer. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. I'm counting all of the Frankenstein movies as one entry. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sticking with my guns on that. It's fine. <laughs> just one. That's, that's, not, that's not how top 10s work. That's yeah, that's not, that's not how you so, work. Not how they work, but uh, that's fine. You can't it's have happening. 10 films tied for first place. I can't. I, I just will. won't. I'll, you know, I'll just make you pick one of the seven for that spot to represent the seven. And there that's you how we'll, Yeah, I will. Nope. We'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. It's dealt with. It's done. <laughs> done. It's Okay, so here's the thing. I'm either because I thought about this the other day. I'm either doing that. That's that's option A. And I invite you to to do the same thing. Like if you want to do the entire Dracula cycle or the entire Frankenstein Frankenstein cycle as one, you're welcome to do that. Or if you both feel so strongly that that's cheating, then we can go with option B. And I'm not going to tell you what option B is. It'll still be like a top five, top ten list. But there's going to be an obstruction of sorts. And I'm not going to reveal what that is until the evening of the episode. So I leave it to you whether or not we go with A or I we do go like with B. weird rules. I might go with B. Yeah, let's do B. That sounds more I like B. Because I, I like the idea of saying almost like, okay, yeah, like because coming up with like rules for the list, like you can only have one of this or one of that or something. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. You're not going to like it. But yeah. well, because you're going to pick something that's going to make it hard for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it'll trust me. when I It'll say, be like your your revenge. <laughs> trust me. Trust me when I say it's going to be tough on all of us equally. So, OK, I like that. that out there. I think we should so nice. That. Nice tease. OK, we're going to option B. I can I can handle that. That's cool. All right. Now, before we get to that, we still have two Hammer movies left, folks. Let's go ahead and start making our way towards the penultimate Hammer movie up until this point. We're going to do that by talking about our recent watches. Allie, what have you seen recently you'd like to tell people about? Ooh, so I watched that sexy new movie called Men. And men, 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 I, men, men, sorry. I, I liked it. And I'm not going to spoil anything because I know it's still in theaters. Uh, but that ending scene, just those right <laughs> down the barrel shots. I was. <laughs> I had a lot of questions as to uh, what anatomy they were uh, referring to. I'm assuming. <laughs> I, 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 oh God! It never even occurred to me what what that what was happening there. You know, but yeah, no, I. I never accepted that there were physical what realities to that we moment. We have a specific, it. you know for where babies come from <laughs> i well, i haven't seen this movie but i'm very <laughs> curious about uh what you're describing right now no i i really liked it also again i can't really say anything because it's still spoiler alert but like i i liked it i thought it was really good and i think alex garland really had a a very good take on honestly how shitty it is to kind of be a woman in a very like misogynistic and male run world. So it was nice to see a dude being like, this is how shitty men are. All right. Can men start listening? And I was like, thank you. I don't yeah. know. 
I I saw it opening night, and it's uh, I yeah. I mean, it was interesting to me too that he goes. You know, each man in the film represents a type of sort of toxic masculine trait. You know, and how said trait is sort of weaponized to, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, keep women down, as it were. And yeah. I mean, the the whole bit with the uh, I think the movie sort of tips its hat pretty early on the moment she I mean, I guess arguably it should be with the first guy when he tells her not to eat the apple. And it's like, yeah, that's a bit on the nose, but OK. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> uh, but then, like, you know, the conversation with the priest and how that goes. It's like, ooh, like that's, but yeah, I, I, I like how they sort of work their way down through, you know, many various types of like horrible yeah, traits. Even that, her yeah. ex-husband and that whole storyline and everything to do with like, even that fucking weird kid. Like, yeah, that kid is freaky as hell. That, well, I mean. Which I, I guess, should we tell people at least what the basic setup is? Yeah, I feel like, Stuff you can see in a trailer we can talk about. <laughs> okay, so do you do you want to take the summary or? Uh, I feel like I'm going to butcher it, but basically this woman is going... Uh, how much of their relationship can I say? So something terrible happens with her sort of ex-husband, and she decides she needs to be alone to heal in this beautiful, beautiful like country cottage in like England somewhere. Uh, and then slowly kind of every man she comes in contact with is just a version of a shitty dude. And they're I, all played by Rory Kinnear. And they're okay. Okay. I didn't know if we were going to say that or not, because I was like, they're all Rory Kinnear, even the kid who was supposed to be like 10 and that super imposing on the face was weird to me. And that's when I clued in that they're all the same actor. <laughs> no, it's it, I, I. What's weird is, is that I liked what the movie was saying. I thought I had some very great, like sharp points to make the, <laughs> the ending is batshit insanity. Um, so there for that ending. Um, I, and it just kept going. You're like, okay, it's going to stop now. And it's like, nope, here comes another one. And you're like, oh, no, I can't deal. Yeah, it's like most climaxes, you dial slowly up to 11. Like 20 minutes from the end, like somebody just throws the switch from about a 2 to an 11, and then they just leave it there. Um, it is it is something. I, I thought the rest of the movie, like, it, the performances are so good and it's so beautifully made in the sound and the atmosphere and like it, it's a folk horror movie, but unlike a lot of folk horror movies that I've seen, but I will say this, like, man, does the movie drag at times like there, there are stretches where it feels like there's nobody at the wheel and I, I just, I feel like you could pull about 20 minutes of just aimless wandering and okay, i have the opposite opinion where i felt i wanted to sit in those moments with her i see i can totally get that and i would like to, i will say after the end of the movie like i wanted to immediately revisit it like it did oh, i sick. walked out kind of shrugging a little bit like i was like oh i like so much but then like what the hell you know but then that movie kind of haunted me for the next two or three days after. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something going on there. Like, I really need to revisit this. 
Yeah, so Paul, highly recommend. Don't, I'm excited to see it. Don't <laughs> watch it with your children. Oh, I, I won't. God. And and uh, Rory Kinnear is really good in Our Flag Means Death, too. Oh, see, now I think Paul's going to watch that show because he's so... I honestly don't know who he is until men, and I was like, he's really fucking good. He's like... Yeah, he's, he's more of a... Uh, He's a reoccurring character, so he shows up in several different episodes. Um, he plays two different people. Uh, I guess a uh, little bit of a spoiler, but he he has a twin, like he's a twin brother. So it's like he plays both brothers, essentially. Oh, well, it's um, all about Eddie Murphying it up recently. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's uh, he's sort of uh, kind of one of the closest things the show has to like a true antagonist, I guess. Um. Because the show is sort of meandering in a, in a good way in that it's, it, you know, it's a pirate show. So they're kind of all over the place and there's lots of different sort of villain characters. But he kind of uh, he's like a, a Royal Navy kind of guy. So like he's a government official. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, he's really good in it. Uh, so hearing that he also plays a bunch of different characters <laughs> in this other thing. Uh, makes me want to see it, and yeah, everything you're saying sounds really fascinating. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, he's good. He's very good. He's uh, he plays a major role in the Daniel Craig era Bond movies, and uh, oh, never saw those. Maybe the best thing yeah. I've seen him in um, in recent memory, he was um, Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein's creature rather, in um, Penny Dreadful, and he's oh, excellent. What? I saw that. Yeah, now he looks for him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't connect that. That. Thank you. Yeah, same. Oh my god. That's cool. Yeah, I love. Pretty that great. He gets to hear us have this little revelation right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I just didn't, you know, connect that at all. So, well done, James. Yeah. All right, Paul. How about you? What have you seen recently? Um, you know, I I feel bad because I feel like the two things I'm going to talk about aren't like really horror per se, but I feel like I need to talk about them based on the show. Uh, so the first one is um. And forgive me if I, t- I I can't remember what I talked about last time. So if I repeat myself, just stop me, okay? Um, Cash on Demand, I finally saw. Oh, is it good? Nice. The Peter Cushing Hammer movie. It, it it's very good. Um, I so I I I finally checked it out. It's been on my watch list forever. Um, obviously, as a, a huge Peter Cushing fan and a Hammer fan. Um, I was going to try to wait till like Christmas time because I heard it was a Christmas movie, which it is, but it's also like not really, you know, like it, it takes place during Christmas. So like one could argue that the season and the season is certainly uh, hangs over the events of the story. Um, and I've heard it likened to sort of an Ebenezer Scrooge kind of thing. And it is, uh, but obviously it's not by any means a ghost story. Um, but yeah, so Cushing uh, plays a banker um, who's like the manager of a bank, and he's very much a Scrooge character. He's he's kind of a jerk. He's very stingy. Um, he doesn't really take care of his people, his you know the people who work for him. He's cruel to his sort of right hand man, and is kind of on the cusp of firing uh, this this loyal clerk, his 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 Bob Bob Cratchit, if you will, um, and it's sort of approaching christmas so it's particularly vile that he's going to do so um and uh this man comes sort of claiming to be 
uh, an inspector from the corporate office kind of thing, like here to inspect the bank. And very quickly, um, Cushing finds himself with this guy who turns out to be a bank robber played by Andrew Morell. Um, and he's got this very elaborate plan to rob this bank where no one will know he's doing it. And the only person who really knows is Cushing and Cushing has to do everything that he says based on sort of some outside of, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff that he's, he's sort of put together to uh, blackmail Cushing. And, you know, all of that happens within maybe like 15 minutes of the movie starting. And it's a quick movie. Like it's under 90 minutes. Um, but it's very much like a, it's, it feels like a cat and mouse thing, even though it's mostly <laughs> Morel as the cat, just kind of batting around Cushing as the mouse. Um, but it is just riveting um, seeing these two actors sort of going back and forth and Cushing's performance is phenomenal. Like he, as this man who's always in control and, you know, has this very moralistic view of the world being forced to uh, break his own rules um, and how much that in of itself crushes him. Um, I I loved it. I, th- I thought it was a, a great movie. Um, probably one of the best bank robbery movies I've ever seen and certainly one of hammer's best films. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one that I took far too long to watch, but anybody out there that loves hammer and loves Cushing, like this is a must see. That's awesome. Allie, have you seen it? No, but I'm like adding it to my list right now. Yeah. It's definitely like Paul, would you say it fits comfortably alongside hammers? Other sort of mini Hitchcock's. Like feels kind of like it. Yes, I mean it does, but also like it. I don't know that I'd call it like a thriller in that same way, you know. Like because I think about like Paranoiac or something or Nightmare. This isn't that, you know. This isn't trying to scare you at all. Um, and you know the other difference is in those movies, there's always a bit of a mystery. There's sort of like a mystery element that sometimes the audience knows, but the characters don't, you know, and that's sort of the Hitchcock of it all. This movie, like everything is laid out on the table very quickly for the most part. Like you, you pretty much know exactly what's going on. Um, and, and, and in that way, it, he is kind of in a Hitchcockian situation, you know, because like he has to do things that are outside of the realm of what he'd normally do. And he, he has to sort of lie to his friends and family. I guess you, you could call them friends. I think the difference is that Cushing is not an everyman. You know, he's, he's an elite. Um, stylistically, like the black, it's a black and white film. So it certainly looks like those movies. Uh, and tonally, it is thrilling because you don't quite know how he's going to get out of this, <laughs> you know, and, and, and he is a bit of an anti-hero, which I really like because back then that was a bit more rare, like having somebody who really isn't a good person become someone you're rooting for and building empathy for him, uh, which, which is really just a testament to Cushing as an actor. He could make you care about him no matter how, how shitty he was, you know? And I think the Frankenstein series proved that, but but yeah, so I, 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 yes, I do. But I also think it, it almost becomes like 
a straight drama in some ways, you know, like a drama with some of those elements mixed in, but, a, but a drama all the same. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. It is on, uh, Paul, I believe you said too, like it's on that great Blu-ray set that was kind of an upgrade of the old hammer thrillers DVD set from way back in the day. Right. Yeah. It's on the, uh, the Mill Creek one that has like Milk 20 Creek, movies. Right. Yeah. It's like 20 movies on it. Um, it's a great set. I don't love the packaging because it's on yeah. one of those, like the discs are on those, like, um, I don't know, those Blu-ray things that are all in like sort of a, like you flip through them, but they don't, they don't stay in really well. Um, but man, it's, it's a great value because of the, the sheer amount of movies you get. Um, and it's got like, it does have several of the mini Hitchcocks in there, including the, uh, original the one that kick-started the mini hitchcocks with a uh, scream of fear uh so yeah i mean it's and it's got like their pirate movies the terrence fisher pirate movie and and some other things so it's it's got a lot of the peripheral genre stuff that doesn't get talked about a whole lot um so yeah it's worth having the collection but that movie alone honestly like i would probably if i wanted nothing else but that was the only way to get cash on demand i would buy it for cash on demand that's a good sell yeah okay um so um there's kind of a school of thought especially you know it's prevalent on social media that you know if you're gonna spend time talking about a movie why would you bother talking about a movie that you hate when you can spend time talking about a movie that you love and I say fuck all of that because I saw dash cam and I want to rant <laughs> and rave about it. Um, I, I watched this. You know what? I had sworn off the movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, listeners out there, I'll clue you in. Uh, Allie Paul and I, we tend to chat in DMs uh, on Instagram. And I remember kind of throwing it out there like, hey, gang, is anybody anybody watching this? Because I feel like I'm not going to, but, you know, maybe I could be swayed, you know. And uh, I think we'd all sort of settled on the fact that we probably weren't going to watch it. Is that right? I Or Allie, I don't know. Maybe you were kind of interested. I, I think, think Paul and I. I'm definitely not going to pay for it. So when it's on free on a streaming <laughs> platform that I have, <laughs> I, I check it out. <laughs> Um, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a Blumhouse movie. It is the sophomore effort from Rob Savage, the guy who gave us Host, which was that great little screen life horror movie that came out on Shudder in the middle of the pandemic. It was like 50-some minutes long. It was the perfect length. Uh, it, it was very fun and innovative and cool. It was a great way to do a found footage movie. Uh, it had some really good scares, fun story, and I dug it. And I was like, you know, I thought it was so cool the Blumhouse picked this guy up and gave him like a three-picture deal, and I couldn't wait to see what he did next. Whoops. Um, Dash Cam <laughs> found itself uh, sort of mired in controversy when it was discovered that they cast as their lead a woman named Annie Hardy who has a... I, it's a show called Bandcore, I think. I don't know if that's the name of the show in real life or just what it is in the, the movie. But in any case, she's a personality who uh, is loud and abrasive and obnoxious and kind of horrible. And she's an anti-vaxxer. And I believe she's MAGA in real life, too. Maybe not. Maybe she's just a provocateur. And they added that to the character in the movie. I'm not sure. But in any case, the fact that they gave her a platform set in a movie that's obviously still in the middle of a pandemic and they let her sort of um, uh, spout all of her crazy anti-vax or anti-masking horse shit. 
you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I, I, it would be one thing if they cast an actor to play that kind of role. Uh, one could assume that maybe, you know, the, the resulting film would be an EC comic style comeuppance kind of horror story. And, uh, but the fact that they actually cast a real person who is essentially that person, and then they make her the lead and let her act like an asshole for an hour and a half, uh, with studio money, no less. It's just, it, it rankles more than a little. So I had pretty much written the movie off just reading that but i there was somebody on twitter whose opinion that i respect who uh who actually had some interesting things to say about the movie and i was like you know what okay maybe possibly maybe it's worth a watch and so <sighs> regrettably um i i rented the movie and i watched it and um how to describe this movie um in a nutshell it's about a woman who has kind of like a YouTube show called Band Car, wherein she drives around with her dash cam on her, and uh, her followers will throw out words or suggestions, and she'll turn them into raps, right? And when the movie begins, she's in the States. Uh, she is uh, buckling under the weight of all the COVID restrictions. Uh, God forbid. And so she flies over to the UK to visit with an old band member of hers. And... Uh, she gets there, she clashes with the guy's uh, girlfriend who's very COVID conscious and wears a mask and whatnot. And of course, she sees this as a great injustice. She basically acts like a, a, a complete asshole. Think of the worst that you saw in those little cell phone videos that were sprinkled all throughout the pandemic on social media of people walking into Walmarts or grocery stores or this place or that. And they just couldn't be bothered to put a mask on. But of course, they had to get in everybody's face over it too and proclaim how their freedoms were being restricted. That's this woman. Like she's every one of those person people rather uh, rolled into one. And we have to watch for 20 or 25 minutes this dipshit just bopping around England like the ugliest American that ever lived, acting like a complete asshole. And then eventually she steals her buddy's car. Uh, she 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 starts up her show again. We're still having to watch all of this shit. And she winds up fucking with his job, which is as a part-time, I think, delivery guy. She takes a job. She winds up having to ferry an older woman from one location to the next. She's paid kind of under the table to do this. And then supernatural shenanigans concerning said older woman begin. And from that point on, it's... Uh, I remember Roger Ebert, when he reviewed Transformers 2, he likened it to somebody banging pots and pans in your face for two and a half hours. That's kind of what dash cam is. It's a lot of screaming. It's a lot of like effects that people, I think by virtue of the fact that it's a found footage movie would probably find cool because, Hey, you don't see cars exploding in found footage movies generally because found footage movies are relatively low budget. You don't see people flying through the air. You don't see all sorts of stunts. And that's all this movie has to offer. Every three minutes, something insane is happening. People are screaming. There's explosions. There's running. There's madness. The camera shakes like ever-loving fuck. And in the few moments of silence in between each one of these regrettable set pieces, we have a character who is like the unholy union of that little 12-year-old rapping asshole from M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. Like, imagine, imagine if that kid... And Marjorie Taylor Greene were put into, like, a brundle pod. Like, Annie Hardy is what would come out on the other side. And it's absolutely insufferable. 
And it's not just the fact that I hate her, like on a political level and everything that she stands for, although that is pretty bad, too. But the movie itself is maybe one of the worst constructed on every level that I've ever seen. Uh, it, it, it's not, and I told you both this in <laughs> messages, and I think I tweeted about it too, but honestly, I, I've sat on this statement for a couple of days, and I truly believe it's not her hyperbole. It's not merely one of the worst movies I'll see all year. It's one of the worst movies I've ever fucking seen. I love anyway. it. Anyway. Commend. What's that? Solid recommend. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's top of my list now. You two have been warned. And I'll, I'll say one more thing. If the movie, you know what? Fuck it. Spoilers. Uh, plug your ears if you want, but I'm getting this out. Listeners, that includes you too. Going back to the EC Comics thing, I could almost, almost be okay with the film as it is not, I mean, fuck it, it would still be a terrible movie, but as far as the filmmakers electing to place her at the center of this film, I would almost be okay with it if indeed there was an EC comic style comeuppance for her, if there was a point to it, if indeed there was any reason for her to be the way she is for 20 minutes solid at the beginning of the movie, if her political worldview, like if any of that had anything to do with the main thrust of the movie regarding like all the supernatural events, but no, they are wholly separate. She doesn't learn a fucking thing by the end of the movie. There's no comeuppance. In fact, the movie kind of celebrates her a, by, by the time the credits roll. And by the way, the credits are maybe the worst fucking thing I've ever seen committed to film period. Like it's horrendous. Um, I listened to an interview trying to parse through what the filmmakers intended with the movie. I think it was the Empire podcast and listening to the hosts of that show, which is a show that I typically like. Listen, listening to them fawn over this woman, like, uh, you know, just just utterly adoring every fucked up, horrible thing she said. Uh, like, isn't she just the coolest? She she just tells it like it is like she'll say anything <laughs> was so fucking gut churning. And then like just hearing her talk about like uh um uh, you know the pandemic and how you know the masks masking was actually bullshit and vaccines and this and that or whatever but there's one moment in that interview and i know those guys are never going to hear this but if you do fuck you all um where she admits that she had covid at one point and she went to a film festival and she likely infected a bunch of people there ha 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 that black-hearted fucking hobgoblin why anybody would pay her to lead their movie i don't know after host i was looking forward to seeing what those guys would do next and now i couldn't possibly give any less of a fuck like i i got zero interest in what they do from here on out yeah fair. that's not cool don't do that shit <laughs> that all sounds pretty bad yep sorry Allie. please bring us back up what else have you seen it was brought to my attention recently that every single season of malcolm in the middle just got put on disney plus <laughs> uh so i watched seven seasons of malcolm in the middle oh, and wow. Brian Cranston is a gift. Mm -hmm. He's always been a gift. Like I was always into him as like the dad character. And I was like, man, so much of his character in um, Breaking Bad 
shows up in his character as Hal and Malcolm in the Middle. Like, he was in his underpants in a trailer way before he did Breaking Bad. <laughs> good point. I don't give a shit. That show was so fucking good. Everyone can suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I so still cute. think they should have found a way to make Malcolm in the Middle in canon with Breaking Bad. That, that was always my dream. It was. It should have. It should have. A thousand you percent. Could, you could make it work. Like, you did could you jump through a couple hoops. Where they did that? I think there was like, a did. thing. Yeah, I saw the thing where they made it, but it, but you know what I mean, though. Oh, yeah. Like to really, anyway. But no, I, I, I also love Malcolm Middle. That was one of my favorite shows uh, when I was younger. Oh. I had a fish named Frankie Munitz. Oh my! Uh, <laughs> I did. I named my fish Frankie Munitz. I love Frankie Munitz, and like I don't know how I feel about the fact that they are rebooting the surreal life and he's going to be on it. I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to watch every second of this show, but Ooh, are you okay, Malcolm? Like, are, is everything okay in your life? Are you still in the middle? Like. <laughs> I, uh, I have never seen this show. It's really, really. No, I saw, I saw Malcolm in the middle. What were you doing? I, I, I think it, it's I, a huge it just, sitcom. <laughs> it just missed me. Like I was just old enough when it came out that I didn't care if that makes any huh. sense. But now, now I kind of want to go back and oh, check I know. it out. You and like Brian Cranston's the dad, so he's in every single episode, and he's so so great. It's a you know, it's a really funny show. Like I don't usually tell people because going back and rewatching sitcoms is a is a dangerous proposition. Yeah, because a lot of times as an adult, you go back and you're like, "Oh, okay, this is not nearly as good as I remember," and I'd rather just live in my memory. But um, a couple of years ago, my wife went through them again because she's a huge fan of that show too, and they hold up. Like it's a it's a funny show, and it's got a bit of a plot, so it's easier to watch it. You know, some of those sitcoms are just sort of like every episode it resets, so it's hard to get into it in that way. But Malcolm in the Middle has sort of a progression to the story that you can kind of follow, which I think always makes it a little more fun. Um, yeah, it, it's it's great. You should definitely check it out. It's great. And all the characters are like so flawed and they know. Yeah. It. And it's <laughs> yeah. just I think that's what makes the show really good is that they're not trying to hide the fact that like, you know, Reese is a bully and also really stupid. And Dewey's kind of like in the later years is crazy. But well, also, wasn't he, that the? Oh, sorry. Oh no, like that. I love Dewey. He's like my favorite character on the show. And then like Francis's progression from going to like military school to then like living in Alaska to then working on this ranch to then like saying he's an alcoholic, but he's not an alcoholic. And like, yeah, I always liked that he like that that kept the show really fresh. the The oldest brother often didn't live with the family and wasn't with the family, so he had like a whole completely different plot with totally different characters that you would just cut to throughout the episode that had nothing to do with the other characters because they live in two completely different places and weren't interacting with each other yeah and it was such a fun idea you know that i can't think of another show that that would do that and to ali's point like at the time it was pretty novel to have a sitcom where all of the people were kind of shitty people that that was, you know, like they kind of suck. They're, they're not put together. Like that was sort of the, I think that was the selling point. And that, that, and that was kind of how Fox was. It was they like. Weren't, they weren't rich. Like they were extremely. No. And rewatching it as an adult. I'm like, oh my God, I never realized 
how poor they were. Because I grew up watching this as a kid. So I was like not tuning into like the parents' storyline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. Well, I remember that it was on like the Sunday night block, right? With like yeah. The Simpsons and um, I love shows the Sunday like that. Block. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. That was but the like, best one. <laughs> that that kind of makes sense. Like two sort of screwed up families, you know, back to back. But yeah, good show. It is good, and like it just it holds up. It's really nice, and even like there are very few shows who kind of call out kids for being douchebags. And Kids like, can be real douchebags. They can't. And like, the show <laughs> calls it out. Like, every time Malcolm gets really self absorbed, they're like, this is why people don't like you, is because you're such a self centered little jerk. And he's like, oh, fuck, I am. And you're like, thank you. Like, you were acknowledging that not every child is golden, even though he is very special. <laughs> yeah, watch it, Jinx. It's cute. All right, I'll give it a shot. Paul, how about you? It's. Um, the other movie I'm going to talk about is also not a horror movie. So again, I, I apologize, but I, I, when you hear the title, you'll know why I have to talk about it. I finally saw the unbearable weight of massive talent. Isn't it perfect? It's so um, good. it's like one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. I know it's a little soon. I watched it last night, but like. It's like a it's like an all timer for me. Uh, I five stars, perfect movie. I loved every second of it. It's everything I could have wanted from it and more. I want um, scenes. Like, it's just I I just had a smile on my face the whole time. I loved it. Yeah. Um. And it and it totally like got Nicolas Cage. That's that's I think, you know, and and I always I think of Cage as such a brave actor, um, completely fearless. Right. Like he's willing to do anything. And I think one of the the most dangerous, frightening roles you could possibly play is yourself as a public persona and to actually allow that personality to be exaggerated and lambasted and emasculated on a wide scale like that. Like that takes such courage as a performer um, and and confidence and belief in not just your ability, but like the point of the art itself. So I think as silly and dumb and, and kind of like playing off of the nostalgia of his career and and fans of his, it's, it's also a brilliant movie. I mean that I I see a lot of reviews. I was looking at letterboxd and a lot of people are like, it's, it's light and breezy and fun. Not much more than that, but a really good time. And I'm like, it is more than that. You're all wrong. It is so much more than that. Like it, it, it's a brilliant deconstruction of not just his career, but of the concept of celebrity. Is it not? I mean, it is, it is one of the best movies I've seen in years. Like it is, if it doesn't, if the year doesn't end with that being absolute hands down, number one movie I saw this year, I, this will be one of the best years for movies there's ever been. Perfect. Like everything. No hyperbole. That's how I feel about this movie. Like I needed to be on board so I can buy it. Yes. It is on VOD. Like I, so obviously, Paul, you watched it. That I did way buy it. Yeah, I, I bought I, it on VOD and I'll buy it on Blu ray. I'm going to buy that shit on Blu ray. Is it on VOD in Canada or is Canada going to fuck me over again? Fucking Canada. Uh, I don't know. 
Um. Okay. Yeah, so last movie. Mad now. Oh, sorry. Did Did you? So you guys. So I know you. Saw, did you see it, Jinx? Yes. No. Yeah. We. Uh, I think Allie and I talked about it, didn't we? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did on one of the last episodes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. I. I loved it. I thought it was excellent. I. Uh, you know, it it should get more recognition than it does, but that's the that's we just have to come to accept that Cage is not going to get the recognition that he deserves in the way that he deserves because you know I Pig is still out there and I feel like not enough people have discovered that and I feel the same way about this. So yeah, the, we'll the just only, we'll just keep letting him be awesome and uh, the, the eventually people th- will come around. The only other thing I want to say about this movie is the Paddington Two thing. Oh my god. <laughs> was one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in a movie. And not only that, it like also resonated. I was like, yes, Paddington 2 is, is that good. And I love that the movie was like not only acknowledging that Paddington 2 is like an all-time movie, but like the way they do it and and the shock, like Nicolas Cage's like surprise at realizing <laughs> just something so stupid and, and trivial, but also you know, anyway, I just, uh, I love it. He has so many great moments. When he accidentally touches his forehead, that's like, <laughs> I fucking died. The only thing I would have changed, if I could change one thing about that movie, is I would I would make it a love story, not a friendship story. Like, I wanted Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal to fall in love with each other. That that's That was the one thing I wish it could have been, because I think that would have been beautiful and amazing. And even more interesting. Because it's just so beautiful. I really feel like there was a love story there. like Doing drugs together. Oh, man. I just wanted them to fall in love and be together. I, just, I, I think it still was. It still was. It was just it, it, it is. But, but you know, what I you want, see I, so rarely, like in especially in mainstream movies, like I remember that movie, I Love You, Man, like when it came out with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, you know, it took a movie actually having a title like that and shining a light on this to make me realize that movies don't even deal with platonic love in that way. You know, um, I think I'm just writing the our flag means death high of the love story in that. And I just want to see more of that because there's a beautiful purity to the way, you know, like you said, like just dealing with love on screen in any sort of capacity is rare. So, uh, you know, whether it's romantic or platonic um, and, and, and allowing that story to have a pureness to it. Uh, which this movie certainly did, and and our flag means death is is does really really well, although there is a, that that is romantic, um, you know I, I I guess I want more of that now. I'm like I'm seeing that in things, and I'm like oh this is so good that more things need to embrace this sort of storytelling and this element that just is largely absent. I mean you hear a lot of people talk about how movies have become like weirdly sexless, you know like like The Rock. <laughs> Is sort of like the sexless entity in movies, <laughs> and it's so true and weird. Um, when you look back at like you know action movies in the seventies and eighties and even the nineties, like there was always like raw sexuality there, um, and now it's like studios are afraid to dabble with that at all, and so everything's just platonic and kind of lifeless, you know. And when they do try to do it, it just ends up being sort of awkward. I don't know, but yeah. Anyway. Either way, All right. watch Unbearable Weight. It's a perfect movie. Absolutely. It is. But also, we have been recording for a while, and we do have a hard out tonight. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can. I'll I'll cut mine and we'll oh, jump no, right into. See your other movie. I'm sorry. I thought we were done. <laughs> no, I'll I'll race through it. Should I pick between uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or Crimes of the Future? If you spoil Crimes of the Future for me, I'll burn my apartment to the ground, and it won't okay. affect any of you. So the thing about Crimes of the Future. <laughs> <laughs> I am a huge Cronenberg fan. I adore Cronenberg. Uh, I, I mean, when I was 17, uh, I, I spent an entire vacation to Florida uh, with a stack of Cronenberg VHS tapes and a copy of Cronenberg on Cronenberg, learning that, you know, uh, uh, movies have layers. And uh, I just, I've, I've, I've always loved his movies. I, uh, I, I've been a little concerned over the course of the past decade that some of his work has been like not really connecting with me that much, or I haven't been connecting with it like Cosmopolis and, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not fully on board with some of the later stuff, but um, crimes of the future looked like it was going to be a return to form. Uh, he was going back to body horror. He was sort of, uh, you know, going back to the crazier stuff that he did early on in his career. And I was all about it. I was there opening night. And I got to tell you, like, the movie is incredibly well made. It's insanely well acted. Like it's it's actors taking big swings and connecting. Like Kristen Stewart is so damn good in the movie. Um, She's amazing in everything. Yes, it's um, I, in a way it feels like a culmination of all of his previous work like all of his thematic concerns, like uh, visually, like everything he's done up until this point, it feels like it feeds into this movie. There's something really interesting about seeing Vigo Mortensen, who to me sort of represents Cronenberg leaving body horror and sci-fi behind and going into more uh, naturalistic stuff like uh, uh, History of Violence and Eastern Promises. And, um, oh God, the the Freud Young movie that he did, um, which I always forget the damn title of. But anyway... There's something really interesting about seeing Viggo Mortensen in a Cronenberg body horror movie. Um, and, you know, the movie wrestles with uh, I've seen a lot of people say that, you know, it's a movie about authorship and which is true. Like it, but it also sort of taps into like that Cronenbergian sort of interest in like, you know, absentee creators and, uh, you know, the notion of disease being uh you know, a, a creative force as much as it is a destructive one. And, um, you know, honestly, if this were the last movie that he ever made, it does feel like a great last movie in that sense. The problem is, is that unlike a lot of his early stuff, uh, those those body horror movies like Videodrome or uh, Existence, those are the two movies that Crimes of the Future feels most like, um this one feels kind of aimless and it feels like Cronenberg with the volume turned down. And so it, it kind of, it was, it was upsetting. It was genuinely upsetting to me sitting in the movie theater, digging the fact that we got a Cronenberg body horror movie and that it's so well made and so well acted, but also realizing that the story isn't really going anywhere and it's not engaging and there's no drive to it. It's uh and for all the crazy effects and wonkiness that you can see in all of the marketing, which is in the film, it's really kind of a talking heads movie. And the stuff that they're chatting about, it's it it feels like it's one point or a couple of points, but just gone over and around in circles. And ultimately, by the time you reach the end credits, 
one has to wonder what the point of it all was. And that was kind of heartbreaking to me. Um, it, it's not at all a terrible movie. It's not even a bad movie. Uh, it's, it's, if you're a Cronenberg fan, you're going to love it. I think just for the experience, but dial your expectations down. This is not him in peak form, even though it is a return to body horror. I don't think it's a return to that sort of, early Cronenberg and like what he was capable of early on. And indeed, maybe that's just his aim. Maybe that's what he's, you know, if this is kind of like a culmination of everything that's come before, maybe he's gotten to the point where, you know, as a young man, he wanted to shout his ideas and now he just wants to calmly discuss them. Who knows? But ultimately like it disappointed me a little bit. Okay. Fair. I'm still going to watch it and give it so much money. Fair. Fair. I mean, hell, I'm going to buy the thing day one just because, but, but yeah. I'm excited to see it. Um, Like I said, I I don't really do theaters that much, so I'll probably wait for VOD, but uh, I I am looking forward to it. I have not seen, like, you'd probably be surprised at how many Cronenberg movies I haven't seen. There's a lot of his filmography that I've not gotten to, but I've seen most of his early stuff, like, uh, his newer stuff, like I haven't seen any, like I haven't seen Eastern Promises, I haven't seen History of Violence, I haven't seen, oh, I haven't seen oh. like any of his the new stuff. Good. I think the newest thing from Cronenberg that I've seen is like Crash, maybe, maybe that's his newest movie that I've watched. Oh, that's um, old. Yeah, I know. I, I really, I haven't seen anything, but I've seen like all of his early stuff. But also, all Crash, his, is a perfect movie. You said what? Yes. Crash is a perfect movie. Oh, I like. fucking love Crash. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing. It's weird. Like, I love I love Cronenberg movies, but I haven't seen them all. <laughs> it's just... If I come to Toronto, I'm going to take you on, like, a Cronenberg tour of the city so you can see where like, so much Cronenberg movies were filmed. Yeah, yeah. I love, like, I mean, obviously, I, I'm on a podcast that sort of has the name, but Dead Ringers I love. I love, um, um, you know, we, some of his earlier stuff. I mean, I'm not, weirdly, I'm not, like, a huge scanners person that's because it's not great um, and i love cronenberg but it's a weaker effort and but i love like all... dead zone i love the brood uh mine was know. a fan of map to the stars i've never seen that one i own it i still haven't seen it that's that's oh. the one cronenberg that i have not seen yeah someday i need to just like <laughs> The, there's a couple filmmakers where I haven't seen a lot of their stuff. Like I've talked to Jinx about it, but like I've seen almost no David Lynch movies. I've seen almost none of them. Uh, I've seen like maybe two or three. Um, so Breaking like I got to go through, huh? Breaking my heart. Yeah. yeah. Did you, like, did you watch you... Twin Peaks at all? Like, have you? No, I, I saw like the pilot for Twin Peaks and that was it. Um, he's, he's a filmmaker that I've never been able to like connect with. So I've always been afraid to like dive in, uh, but I've slowly been buying all his movies. <laughs> so I own like almost everything he's made at this point. Whatever you do. And I think you and I talked about this during said, an early yeah. uh, getting hammered with hammer. Whatever you do, do not watch his stuff chronologically. You cannot start with a racer head and expect to no, feel like you need enough, to watch the rest. Um, I've seen a racer head. That's one I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which is probably why I've been afraid to like dive in. I've, I, and here the 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 hard the cold hard truth that that that, that might have people revoke my 
my movie fan card is when I was in high school, I watched Mulholland Drive and I thought it was the biggest piece of shit I'd ever seen. Um, and as a result of that, I actively avoided David Lynch movies. I was like, I hate this movie. I hate everything it's doing. It, it thinks it's so damn smart, but it's stupid. That was how I felt. I'm not saying that's what I think now. But like, you know, at the time I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm not telling a normal narrative, so I'm good. It's like, no, I need like there, then there's nothing to latch on to. Like, this is just dumb. And later on, I, I sort of get what he's doing now with it. Obviously, I haven't watched it since then, but I like hated it so much that it like drove me away from his stuff because I just it's hard. And the, it's still true. It's hard for me to connect with filmmakers who are doing like experimental things with narratives. Like if I don't have like a character to latch onto, it's really hard for me to get into a movie. I'm not saying the movie's bad. It just might not be for me. So that's why I've always been really afraid of, of Lynch's stuff. But having said that, I watched, um, lost highway. Yes. Like last (gasps) November. And I loved it. And that's a movie that fucks with the narrative. It doesn't really, you know, it, it, it jumps around. It doesn't have, you know, your, your sort of traditional narrative to, to latch onto. And, and, you know, it, 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 it's very experimental. And I was like, oh, well maybe now I'm old enough and I'm wise enough to be able to try to understand what, what this guy is doing. And, and that makes me want to go back and, and kind of, delve in so hopefully hopefully when i do it'll be fruitful <laughs> i uh i could talk about lynch for um an entire limited run podcast that we should do in the future but as oh, that would be a good excuse a to get ago, me to do it yeah exactly sorry, yeah. i would do it my lynch. fault <laughs> But um, but as Ali pointed out, we are running a little late this evening. So I tell you what, everyone out there in listener land, let's go ahead and queue up our copies of The Woman in Black 2, The Angel of Death, whether you're streaming or watching on DVD or Blu-ray. Let's go ahead and get to the very first frame. Yeah, because it's on Amazon Prime in Canada. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime here in the States, too. Okay, everything is on your guys' prime, all right? I'm the one who's always left in the lurch. <laughs> so the first frame in this one, is it gonna be like the relativity media thing? Or are we Yes, going you're gonna that? see you're gonna see like a an aquamarine burst of energy like popping through the blackness. That's gonna be frame one. So or maybe are like our frames five. different? Because my first frame was E1 and then it went right to hammer. Wait, I'm pretty sure that is the E1 logo though. That oh okay. The, we are on the same page. Okay. I was very confused because I was like, this is E1. Is that a different thing? Yeah, it's very fancy. It goes through the universe. It's a little like, come on, guys. Let's just uh, let's calm the hell down. Or no, no, no. I'm sorry. It is relativity that does that. So, Allie, yeah, if you can get to the relativity. But I'm telling you now, my first frame is E1 Entertainment, and then it goes right into the, the, hor- the Hammer logo. Really? Maybe it's for okay. distribution. Maybe there's like a weird thing because E1 okay. is Canadian. Okay, everyone listening out there, here's what we're going to do. We're going to queue it up to the first frame of the Hammer logo. Okay. That makes more sense because now I'm like confused. Hammer, yeah. Canadians. Ugh, By the way, we... while we're queuing this up, uh, I just want to point out to listeners that both Paul and I received the care package this past week full of Canadian goodies from our co-host, and it's one of the coolest things I've ever gotten in the mail. It's amazing. Allie, thank you. 
Okay, yeah, but neither of you have eaten the chalet sauce, and Canadians out there will tell you how good it is. <laughs> yeah, Allie, that, that was like the best thing. Thank you so much for sending that. Oh, I'm glad you guys liked it. It's amazing. Jeez, your kids will love it, then you'll have to buy more of it. I don't, do you guys even get KD in the States? Yeah, I think it's just called like Kraft Mac and Cheese, right? Okay, well, so it's the same basic company. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it for them, and they're going to tell me if it tastes different. Like if the Canadian kind is like, it's a different packaging, but it's the same well, kind yeah. of macaroni. And also like, I know that you guys, some places have like Kit Kat bars and stuff, but your Kit Kat bars are for some reason different than our Kit Kat bars. Yeah. Your Kit, Kit Kat bar tasted totally different. Yeah. That popcorn Kit Kat bar was absolutely amazing. I haven't had the popcorn one yet. Oh, I, I'm weird. saving it because it looks really good. <laughs> It's astonishing. It's you know what it is. Like if you ever gone to you know what? Uh we'll we'll deal with that after we start the commentary. But we're gonna get back to the popcorn kick up. All right, everyone out there in listener land, let's go ahead and press play here in five, four, three, two, one, and play. And there is the hammer logo looking a little different this time around. I don't like it's, it as much. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's a little, that little Marvel Universe one they had. There the is Marvel E1. one's the best one. Allie, are you seeing E1 right now? No. That's so weird. Yeah, okay. So right now I'm seeing like Relativity Media. I'm seeing a Talisman production. Yeah, I see Talisman production. In association with Hammer Films. And... It's a distro thing because that's crazy that I have a different logo opening than you guys do. Oh yeah, let's get to the house. Okay. And there's Eelmarsh so House in Crithen Gifford. We are back with the sequel to The Woman in Black. Um, 40 years later. Yeah, is it? what? Okay, so the first movie was, what, 1906? And this one is in the middle of the Blitz, which would place it... Well, it says 1941. Okay, so three and a half decades later, we are revisiting the same location. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is long gone. Uh, even though it was rumored that he was going to cameo at some point. And honestly, after watching this movie, I have no idea where that would have happened. But uh... I, I would have thought the <laughs> ending when when she runs back to the house and weird shit starts happening and she sees ghosts and stuff. That that's when I, I would have showed him. Yeah, I could see that. Like he's really... trapped in the house in limbo. It would be a shame, though. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that because I felt like Arthur's ending in the previous movie was... Uh, you know, it was kind of, it was nice. It was cathartic. It was, uh, e even though it was a downbeat ending, it was the most upbeat, downbeat ending you could have for that character. And the fact that he goes off into the afterlife with his wife and child was, uh, you know, it felt like a well-earned ending for him. So to see him back in that house sort of still marred well, if, the dark if supernatural. if that's what you believed happened to him. Because if you remember, we talked about this. I don't think it makes any sense that she would let him go. I think I think he is trapped. I think that was all just sort of... Forever bullshit and he's screwed because like i don't know it just it doesn't it doesn't track that she would like be cool with him moving on like and then go back to being a vengeful ghost because if, well, if I, oh go ahead well i'm just wondering like how much and again we talked about what the original like the goldman ending was and then what the studio mandated ending was but with with the ending that we have and what we can parse from that like i I wonder, like, with her look at the end of that first movie, if we're even meant to wonder if she has any control over his ending. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, they wanted us to think that he's fine and happy. 
but yeah, I don't think, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, if he was going to cameo, the, the only way to do it would be to say that he was not in heaven, you know, like, <laughs> cause why would he come back? And he's otherwise? trapped in the house with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So that's probably why they cut him if anything, or maybe money. <laughs> I don't know. But from what I hear, Radcliffe is like pretty cool. Like it sounds like he'll work for oh, scale. Yeah. I will say, like, watching this movie for the first time when it came out in early 2015, um, I was immediately sort of taken with the scope of the movie. I mean, we opened with the Blitz. We opened, like, just right after we're in this train station. There are loads of extras extras like this. This is a movie that obviously has a good deal of money behind it. Like, they took great care in it. And, you know, no wonder, because I think The Woman in Black at this point was their greatest success. So they were probably banking on the sequel making the same sort of money i think the mistake that they made is in not realizing that a good deal of the first movie's success was probably down to the fact that there was a recognizable face like daniel radcliffe's in it. yeah they had harry potter in it everyone wanted to go yeah. see something that wasn't harry potter they had harry well, fucking potter like it, you know and it was so it was 2012 was the first one right mm-hmm. yes so you're making like a big ghost movie, which ghost movies were kind of big at that point, right? Still like ghost movies were like supernatural ghost stuff was big. Daniel Radcliffe, like you said, Daniel Radcliffe was big. You know, a couple of years later, the ghost stuff started to kind of fade away a little bit. Like it wasn't as big. And then, yeah, you don't have a star anchoring it. Like, and I don't think the woman in black title was maybe as big big a deal as the first one led them to believe it was um but they but they had the same budget they were both 15 million dollar movies really i did not realize that this yeah, one same feels budget. so much larger than uh yeah it makes me wonder how much of a well, uh, a paycheck that radcliffe commanded then th- that i think that's part of it and the other thing is one thing that makes this movie feel bigger i mean certainly the stuff you called out Jinx and I would I, I will tell you and I have never seen this movie before today, um, but yeah I was I was shocked at how big it felt. But also like the first movie was really just like Daniel Radcliffe in a house for most of the movie. It's yeah, it's it just him on his own. Yeah, and in this one you have a bunch of characters interacting in that same house. So even though like it, the place is the same, it feels like a bigger movie because there's more people in that space. Yeah, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. And I guess, you know, doing a little bit of research, it looked like I hadn't remembered this. I didn't realize it was so soon after. But Hammer announced this sequel not too terribly long after the success of the first movie. It was in 2012 when uh, when they announced their intentions to do a follow up. And uh, I, think it was, I think it was shocked till you drop, weirdly enough, that was the first one to get a hold of uh a synopsis and the original story, which apparently Susan Hill, the author of the original novel, the woman in black, uh, she assisted in crafting the story and she gets sole story credit on the film, but it originally had a mental hospital basically being uprooted and moved to eel marsh house. So you had an, a haunted house populated by mentally ill people being, you know, presided over and cared for by our lead, you know, in this film. And, um, that ultimately changed, and I think for the better, when they uh, when they made it children. Because, I mean, my God, you know, it, it's bad enough in the first movie when 
uh arthur awakens the woman in black and you know she's a specter that follows him and then you have all of the kids a pretty decent distance away from her you know still falling ill and dying and killing themselves you know just by glimpsing her but just this setup where you're bringing all of these children right into her home right under her roof like that's 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 terrifying, even as just a basic setup. You know, you the the mind boggles at what's going to happen to all those children. I don't think the movie fully pays that off. And being honest, I'm kind of glad it doesn't. Um, <laughs> well, but yeah, it's a hell of a setup. Yeah, yeah I, I I agree. I well, and the other thing is, it was a military mental hospital too, so it was like soldiers, like disturbed and injured soldiers that were going to be sent there. Could have been like the uh, ninth configuration, but with the yeah, cops. and I, I, I hate to say this, but like I kind of love that idea, and I think <laughs> that might have been more interesting. I, I think the problem with this movie, um, so I guess you know, brief synopsis is you just kind of gave it like it's World War Two, the Blitz is happening in London, you know, children need a place to go. Here we have this abandoned house out in the countryside. They can go there. They can be safe. Um, you know, last time we were here 40 years ago, there was sort of a town around it. That town is now deserted and abandoned, which makes perfect sense because the whole first movie, we were all like, why the hell would anyone live there? You know, like, like why and would you ever? <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, um, and and they take these kids there. The setup is amazing. Like, I was so pumped. Like the first 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be an amazing movie. And then. An hour goes by and almost nothing happens. And and I think that's the real issue with this movie is, is, is it's, it's a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> um, and then like a little bit of something, you know, here and there, and then you get a climax and, and the movie just, it really wants to hang out in the great, cool production design, which is, which is awesome to see. It's a beautifully, constructed movie in the house i like how the house looks really different in this one like it look it reminded me more of like crimson peak where oh, it's I a house i'm oh, sorry go ahead no i fully get that now that you said crimson peak i'm like oh my god yes a thousand percent yeah where the house is like like sinking into the marsh the house is becoming part of the marsh yeah you know the the decay has evolved to to be like green and blue and mossy and moldy and, and it's a it's a I like that the house itself is like a different entity than it was in the last movie. Like it's still imposing and it still has a lot of the same, uh, you know, freaky elements to it, but it's, it's evolved. Um, And I thought that was really brilliant. It's kind of cool to see that. Like I, when we first saw the house in the first movie, it's, you know, it's kind of like its own character in a way. It's a big part of the movie. And in the first film, we're witnessing it, just as it died or right after it died. But yeah. so many decades later, we're kind of witnessing its uh desiccated corpse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, wait, I mean, and, and yeah, you said it and that that's the right way to be is like, you know, be glad that you didn't see more kids die, but I'm sorry, more kids should have died. <laughs> like, it's a house full of kids. Like more of them should have died. That's the whole point of this franchise. God. <laughs> I do uh, I do want to point out, and I think there is a reason for that. I think it's tenuous, but it's the one that I find, and I would love to talk about it here in a minute. But I did want to point out, while he's on screen, Adrian Wall- Rollins, rather, uh, Adrian Rollins is behind the wheel of that bus. He's busing all the kids into uh, Eel Marsh. 
Um, he is the same actor who played Arthur, the lead in the 1988-89 TV movie, The Woman in Black. Oh, yes. Um, oh, I didn't know. And so That's it's cool. amazing that they brought him back as a different character for this. And as we talked about during the commentary for The Woman in Black, you know, he played that role and then eventually – uh, Daniel Radcliffe played that role and they have another connection in that they played father and son in the, uh, the Potter franchise, which is kind of yeah. neat, but I love that they, they brought him back in this. It's just, it's a fun little nod without leaning too hard on it. Um, as well, we'll get to the children dying. I will say I actually really, really like this film a lot. Like I, uh, it, it's weird. I remember when it came out, a lot of people did not like it. Some people liked it more than the original movie. I was writing for Dread Central at the time, and I remember some of the writers there actually found it to be a better film than the 2012 movie. One and two, interestingly, uh, some said it kind of worked as a sequel to the original TV movie as well. Like you could go directly from the TV movie to this one and not really miss a beat, which I don't sure. know that I completely buy that because of the, you know, the, the house is so clearly the house from the previous Hammer film. But um, I mean, this movie kind of works like gangbusters for me on a few different levels. I, I love the setup. I love the look. I I think the scares are kind of effective. Um, I find that the jump scares, you know, generally jump scares feel kind of cheap to me. But when you soak them in atmosphere and, you know, give me a character or two to care about, then I, I, I mind less when a, a cat or a raven flies in the frame. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I, and, you know, just what it deals with in regards to the woman in black and, like, her ultimate goal in this, you know, in the first movie, she's kind of like a shotgun, you know? It's, it's anybody who comes into her path, they're a goner. And, you know, you could cry foul that that's not really the case in this movie so much, but I like the idea that she's a little more refined. She's a little more evolved, you know, much Paul, as you mentioned that the house is different. I think so too is she. And I like that when Eve comes into this house, she knows that she is somebody who gave her child away, um, who, well, she didn't give her child away her child was taken from her, but at a certain point she neglected to, continue searching for the child. Now I, as a viewer, forgive her that simply because like, my God, you could only do so much, but I, I can see where Jenna Humphrey would see that as a betrayal. And she would be annoyed at that. She would be disgusted by that, that a mother would just eventually let her child go when hers was taken from her and ultimately through neglect killed. And so I like the idea that, okay, normally her, her, her reason for being is to take out all children, but in the midst of all of that, I, I feel like Eve is kind of like the 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 flame that the woman in black's moth kind of lights on. You know what I mean? Like her 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 concern narrows in that way. And I I, I just I kind of dig that. I, I dig that she's different in a way, if that makes any sense. It does. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Ellie? What do you think about this movie? I liked it i feel style wise it's beautiful i like what they did with the house how like yeah like the elements have taken over and i really like that whole concept also now knowing that like it could have been like an insane asylum i'm like kind of bummed they didn't go in that direction <laughs> <laughs> I, just from a horror standpoint you're like ooh, <laughs> insane know, asylum like, you say <laughs> beds and everyone just sleeping on them and people popping up in windows i'm like that would have been really great 
Give me like I that. I feel like they can still do that. You they know. totally could. Uh, they talked about a third one. Hello, how's it on Hill vibe? Totally, yes. Opening scene, like. Yeah, good call. Um, yeah, and to your point, Jinx, I, was, there was a couple like missed opportunities thematically for me. Like, for example, like the Eve Parkins stuff. Like, okay, so Eve was a woman who had her child taken away from her. Well, so was the woman in black, right? So that's a cool parallel. Like she had her child taken away and then the child died and her resenting Eve makes sense because in, in all reality, she resents herself, right. For allowing that to happen. Um, they're the same person. So I think they're like, I, I, I wanted maybe more of a connection there, like in the climax, perhaps where, where there's a, where that sort of tie becomes like text instead of subtext. Same thing with, like, you know, it's set during wartime. So, like, the woman in black is sort of, to me, like, I don't know. You don't make a horror movie about someone killing kids at war where kids are trying to escape dying. Like, without that character sort of being a proxy or a representation of the war itself. And I didn't, I don't know that they did a lot with that, but I would have, I, I feel like they're like, you could have, I feel like you could have done some really interesting things with, you know, dealing in a very real raw way with what it's like for a child to constantly be terrified. They're going to die. Like to, to have to face mortality at that young of an age. And they kind of play with that a little bit, but they focus a little too much for my tastes on, the little boy's sort of descent into being taken over by the, by the woman in black or the ghost versus like what those, what, what those fears and things do to a person, you know? And again, I think it sort of plays with that because he like gets really quiet and starts drawing weird pictures. Like that is potentially how a child might deal with these types of horrific things. But I don't know that it came to any, interesting conclusions it just it just kind of felt like you know this is necessary for the plot to move forward so we're going to do this I, I i get what you're saying i guess i just appreciated the fact that they didn't that they didn't hit that so hard that they just let that i mean we open with all of the children crouched together in that tunnel surviving the blitz we know it's wartime and they're meant to be escaping war escaping you know that evil and so they 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 run away from it and they go somewhere else and it's still waiting for them there. It's just in a different form. Having the children like I, I, I thought it was really interesting that they sort of let that lie because that seems to me like so very British, like where even the children have to have that stiff, stiff upper lip, you know, and yeah. you, you have the headmistress who is, you know, my God, that child just lost his parents in a bombing and. Yeah. Her go-to is to, you know, sever him from the human contact that he needs from Eve. He needs a surrogate mother. He needs comfort and care. And what he gets is, is uh, you know, chin up. You know, we'll have you talking again in no time. I just yeah, that, I that like felt... I like that a lot. The McCrory, like the that. Helen McCrory character was great. Like She's horrible, so but great. <laughs> like oh. horrible two kids, but fun to watch. <laughs> well, and it's wonderful too that they uh, she could be. Oh, I'm sorry, Al. Well, it's the old the kid being like mute doesn't want to talk to me. I'm like, well, suck it up. You'll eventually talk again. It's like that's kind of how they dealt with shit. Like, 
they, it wasn't like today where we have a million psychologists being like, well, what's bothering them? What trauma have you faced? Can we talk about things? Let's ease them into stuff. Like, right. these people clearly did not have a good amount of money to get proper help. <laughs> yeah. I do love the fact that Jean was, and Ella McCrory is so damn good. Uh, and she, I believe she passed away a couple of years ago, oh. uh, which so is what? a, Damn shame. She's such a good actor. Um, I, I think I saw her for the first time in, uh, or maybe I just took notice of her for the first time. She was in a uh, an Eleventh Doctor story in Doctor Who. She uh, she played the head of a group, and this is gonna sound so silly, but it's a cool episode. Uh, the head of a group of uh, alien fish vampires, and <laughs> she could have, you know, much as with this role, like you, you again, you say that and you giggle. And understandably so, but the way she plays that role, like she gave it her all and she creates a character who's sort of like weirdly sensuous and kind of like seductive in her own way, but also threatening. And it's just she gave that character probably so much more depth than it deserved. And, you know, the same is true here. Like, obviously, it's probably in the script, certainly, but I think she lends Jean a humanity that we don't really expect that of characters like that. You know, the, the, if, if you're a jerk to a kid in the first 10 minutes of a movie, then you're probably just a terrible person and you're going to remain as such throughout the course of the movie. And I, I love that they didn't let that be the case that they, they gave her more dimension than that. And I thought that was, that was interesting. I dug that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And I will, you know, I do like it. going to the notion of them escaping the war and whatnot. Like, I I like that this movie ultimately is about everyone sort of consciously avoiding the horrible things that are happening and have happened to them. You know, it's instead of getting bombed, you know, leave it. Uh, lose loved ones. You know, you don't talk about it. If you're suffering from PTSD, you... Just accept others' opinions that you're a coward and you pretend to be a hero, you know? And it just it, it ghost stories are always, it seems, you know, almost always concerned with uh, you know, the the notion of the return of the repressed. And I, I like that this movie seems primarily concerned with the weight of that sort of, you know, the the the, the repression, what it does to our leads and how it makes them not terribly dissimilar from our villain in many ways. Like none of them are handling their trauma in healthy ways. They're all hiding it. You know, uh, uh, the woman in black, uh, Janet, you know, she, she does act on it, but in a destructive way. And I don't know, it, it, it's, and it's curious that one's sort of character's pain acts as a catalyst for the purging of the pain of other characters. You know, there's, there's, in a few times throughout the course of the movie, there's kind of there's attention paid to reflections in the film. And I wonder if Janet is not meant to be kind of a mirror and in that way, kind of a cautionary tale for uh, for our three heroes in the movie. And um, I just I, I dig that. I, I, I think it's impressive that this film is more concerned with that than sort of the 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 rote scares that we probably expected out of a sequel to, you know. Uh, uh, a ghost story that did quite well at the box office. This so easily could have been a knockoff. You could have just thrown another guy into the haunted house and yelled boo for an hour and a half. And uh, I, I just appreciated this movie seems to have more on its mind than that. Yeah. I, I respect um, that. It's a very different movie 
Um, and also, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I mentioned I was talking about it a little bit earlier, but like Eve is the woman in black. I mean, if Eve had died during childbirth or right at the end of childbirth, she may as she might have just become a spirit like that. Like if her last moment was her child being torn away from her, she might have died a vengeful spirit. You know what I mean? Like instead that that anger turned into grief and sort of informed like culturally they create these monsters um and they have to reap what they sow uh and and that's not always going to and and that that gets put upon people who don't deserve it you know like the children inheriting the sins of of their parents and things like that so i think yeah the movie does do some things really interesting i like the movie um i just felt i don't know like i was never bored in the first one i was bored in this one there were That's times, I, admittedly, too. yeah, I was bored. There were times, just it was, it, it was kind of lackluster and like it wasn't as well thought out as the first one. Like I like what they were trying to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Just didn't feel yeah. like like they were throwing ideas and not all, all of them stuck. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I there is a stretch in the movie where. Uh, you know, you have to have the lead character doing the requisite, like, investigation into the haunting. And there's yeah. an interesting idea with a blind child who survived his childhood when all of his friends didn't. He grew up to be an older man. And, you know, he kind of gives her the information she needs. But getting to that point, even though that is an interesting idea, like, that entire lengthy stretch is ultimately kind of unnecessary or could have been done in a much more efficient way. And I feel like you know, you could tight. I mean, the movie is only an hour and 38 minutes, but I do feel like you could probably drop about 15 minutes of this movie, not harm it at all story wise and just improve the pace. Agreed. Yeah. My God, it's a gorgeous shot though. When she's standing against the, uh, the silhouette of that tree and in the field. And it's just such a damned beautiful. I will say this, like as much as I like the previous movie and I do, I think this is a much better looking film. Oh yeah, for sure. It's brighter. Like I felt like the first one lived in so much darkness and this one at least has some light and some, because before they couldn't explore the property because it was all like marshy and gross. And now it's kind of overgrown and you can kind of go outside a bit more. And it's nice too with the kids being there. Yeah. It's, it's a striking film visually and i also you touched on it earlier jinx i will say i think the jump scares in this one are much more tasteful <laughs> like they're they're much better like in the first one there was a lot of really dumb like brah you know like the woman in black just like flying at the screen and screaming like there's one of those in this but for the most part the the jump scares are a lot more like natural and yeah, sort of in integrated into the the room or the scene you know it, it, it makes sense what's happening as opposed to just make a loud sound and throw something at the camera they're classier it's more about sleight of hand and misdirection whereas you're right in the first film it's uh you know let's have a cg specter just race at the screen and scream and that should be enough you know this one is more about hey look over here and then boom we're gonna hit you from this side or you know let's have a long moment with uh silence and then punctuate that with uh you know, uh, a loud noise. But again, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I think they, they work so much better. Yeah, it doesn't deserve, though, like, I was looking at um, its reviews. Its reviews were horrible. Oh, yeah, yeah people yeah. hated this film. 
And that that kind of blows my mind. I don't I don't really get that. What like I understand maybe it not doing as well, like we were talking about earlier. Like and and it still did. We should say it made it made okay money. It didn't make Woman in Black money, but but it did all right. But what do you think was the reason like critics hated it so much? <laughs> Honestly, I, I I wonder if, and I wonder this of a lot of critics. I really do. I wonder if critics don't go into horror movies with their arms crossed a lot of times. And when you have a movie that stars Daniel Radcliffe, when that's his first role after Harry Potter, you know, they're, they're, that that sort of, that's, that kind of choice finds a chink in a mainstream critic's armor, I think. And maybe this is all bullshit. You know, maybe I'm Not completely really wrong about this. But I, I I feel like that probably lent that first movie an air of prestige that allowed critics to, you know, let their guard down and actually enjoy it. And then they wrote about it. Whereas with this, you're coming into a sequel. It's it's again, it's a it's a horror movie. It doesn't have a lead actor anchoring it. And so you know, it's I, I always liken it to uh, somebody going into a comedy with their arms crossed saying, yeah, you just try and fucking make me laugh. You know, you're probably not going to laugh. And I feel like what I get from a lot of critics and, you know, you can read reviews for any number of horror movies from mainstream critics, you know, where you just get that sense that they kind of hold the genre between thumb and forefinger looking for a trash can, you know, uh, it. And so that's that's what I get. I think when you go into a movie and you're already kind of against it, it's not going to get through to you. Now, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Sure. Um, There are plenty of critics out there who I respect, certainly. But watching this movie, you can have issues with it. But this is not a movie deserving of the kind of scorn that a lot of those reviews threw at it. it. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, it has a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Saw that. That's rough. And Which part insane. of me wants to say fuck off to that, but then also part of me realizes that Man on Fire has a 38. So Rotten Tomatoes doesn't matter anyway. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't matter. Yeah, but it's an interesting thing to look at because it does tell you generally what critics were feeling. You know, I, I agree that the number doesn't mean anything, but neither does a review. <laughs> it's someone's opinion you know it's like i it means something insofar as if you want to know you know a certain person's opinion and you like them or you you sort of understand their voice like it can it can add value or detract value or help you figure out what movies to watch but i i do think it's interesting when like a movie is predominantly disliked by critics um and I kind of look at it and I go, what was it? What was the thing that made everybody rail against this? And sometimes for me, it almost feels like, well, if everyone hates it, then everyone's got to hate it. You know, I like you don't want to be the one critic who gives it a good review because then you're an idiot. You know, I wonder that sometimes like, is it sort of the peer pressure of everyone just is kind of saying it's bad. So you just buy into that, you know. I don't know. No, I agree. Yeah statement i feel like you don't want to be like i'm like that when people are like oh i hate this film it's so stupid i'm like i actually love this film so i kind of agree with this but maybe I <laughs> my opinions left. Like, yeah i'm always in like the lower count on this one but like everyone was so up it follows his butt and i was like i didn't like this film at all and it felt weird saying that because people would be like, well, you're wrong. You just didn't understand. I'm like, no, I understood it. I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. God, <laughs> I, I hate that. It. If there is any response <laughs> to somebody's opinion yeah, that I, I like hate that. more, it's that 
oh, you just didn't understand it. I hate that. Like, fuck you. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> I hate that, too. Well, and, like, the reality is, like, not every movie is going to be for everybody. And and the other side of that coin is true as well. Like, there could be a movie that a lot of people don't connect with, but someone might connect with it. And that doesn't make them wrong. You know, like, I, I hate when people go, like, oh, you like that movie? And they, like, judge you on liking it, you know, because <laughs> it's, like, so reviled or everyone just thinks it's bad. And you're kind of like, yeah, I love it. And it shouldn't matter that you know, like I can like this and you can hate it and that's fine. And we can talk about it. Like, it's fun to have a conversation where you disagree, but it, it's when it becomes like judgment from one side about the type of person you are or, or your yeah. capability of, like you said, Jinx under understanding a movie because you disagree on it. That's, a crazy thing. It's so Imagine I, I applying that notion to anything else that's not art. Like, uh, I don't like onions, eh, but maybe you just don't you understand. Just don't understand it. onions. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, like, it's so stupid. And here's oh, the thing: I I boy. love getting it. And Paul, Paul, Allie, you both know this very well. Like, I love getting into a good movie brawl. But oh, Paul, yeah. I agree with you. Like, it's your it's, favorite thing. <laughs> I, I I adore it. I really do. Uh, it's fun. It goes back to my theater days when we'd watch movies after hours and we'd always, you know, if it's a two hour movie, we were allowing three hours because we wouldn't we would inevitably have these great post movie chats standing outside in the dark, you know, right outside the theater and just talking about the movie at length. I miss those days. But um but no, yeah, you're right. When it gets to the point where it's judgmental, when it gets to the point where it's kind of like there's there's animosity that grows over a differing opinion like that's just silly mm -hmm. can we now, talk about bb fox there's people so hard if they say hey you a movie i fucking loved dash cam are you gonna be like hey fuck you you're so fucking wrong <laughs> leave it to Allie to point out that I would probably take a swing at somebody over that opinion. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, well, honestly, no bullshit. If somebody said, man, I just fucking love that movie. Um, one, I would have to qualify, you know, their, uh, their, their opinion by asking like what their views on like masking and vaxxing and whatnot are to see if like, that's the sort of in, yeah. uh, but otherwise I would just be fascinated to sit down with somebody and listen to why they liked it. Uh, and I got to tell you, there aren't many, many folks out there like the one opinion that turned me on to finally watching that movie. Like I've been wanting to reach out to him in DMs, just being like, hey, could you maybe talk a little more about that? Because I don't I'm just, I'm, you know, fucking I'm curious. There, I, I did check Letterboxd and there were some people I respect that gave it very good reviews. So I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I Yeah. I also but, Trust Letterbox because a lot of people gave Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent shitty reviews. And I was like, how dare you? You didn't understand the film. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on, on the plus side, Ellie, I gave Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent on Letterbox a perfect five out of five. So, so yeah, I was like, and I don't give many movies a five. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've probably not given, like, you know, classic, you know, famous everybody agrees that this is like a film school movie five stars but then i gave this one five stars but that's just how i am because it was a perfect movie and everyone i also perfect. think a goofy movie is a five-star movie so it is it's so cute a goofy movie is a perfect movie uh but i digress where uh so we've watched almost well i guess i 
we've watched almost every new Hammer movie at this point, right? Yeah. Where does this rank in the new ones for you guys? Mm, good question. Allie, you go first. Or is that unfair? Should I no. not have thrown it to you? I, I'm trying to be like, you know, the... the... It's a hard one. It's no, a hard I'm question. I'm I have all the new ones. So there was Women in Black, The Resident. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wakewood. Wakewood. Quiet Ones. Quiet Ones. And uh, Let Me In. Let Me In. And I think that's it, right? I well, I mean, we haven't watched The Lodge. We haven't watched The Lodge yet. Honestly... We won't, we won't count The Lodge. I think out of the, I guess now six, because this would be our sixth new Hammer... This falls at the bottom of the list for me, I think. Because all those other films, truly, like, I love more than More than more than the quiet ones. I like the quiet ones. Like, it had a lot of problems, but I feel like I just enjoyed it more than I enjoyed this one. I'm not saying this is a bad film. Like, it's like, they all got A's, but this was like an A minus. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I like comparing to the quiet ones because... Here's what I'll say. I think The Quiet Ones was, like, more problematic for me as a movie. Like, I think it it, it worked less as a movie, but I was never bored during yeah, The Quiet Ones. Never ever. bored through it. Like, The Quiet Ones is wild. Like, it's there's always something weird happening that kind of kept me engaged. And I never found myself drifting. So I think that's the edge that The Quiet Ones has over this one. Um, and the same thing about, like, like The Resident. Like, The Resident, I think, is, like, mostly a pretty good movie. It's just that last act that really falls apart. Oh, yeah. But I, I, can, I can sort of forgive it for that because, like, you know, three quarters of it is, like, pretty damn good. Um, I think for me... I think it would rank above quiet ones, but only just barely. Like I, I, but also I think if I had to watch a movie again, I think I would rather watch the quiet ones because I think I'd mm-hmm. rather not be bored. Same. So would this movie be your like fifth rank in that? Yeah. Yeah. Would it, it would be, it would I, be five. Can I ask you both? Like, were there numerous times throughout this? Like how many times would you say you caught yourself saying like, I'm bored. For the whole middle section. Yeah. Really? <laughs> like, like even even this stuff. Like 40 minutes. <laughs> like the, the back and forth between. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just, I, I, I have to say this. It to be? I don't think, can, I guess for me, and I feel kind of like shitty saying it, but like, I don't know. Phoebe Fox just didn't do it for me in Got the it. protagonist. Yeah. Role. I, I like her and I think she's a good actress. I'm not saying, and that's why I, I, I hesitated to say it that way, but something about her in that role didn't, I wasn't like riveted by what she was doing. You know, I, like I was much more interested when Helen McCrory was on screen because her character, I think it's maybe the nature of her character. Her character is a bit of a, uh, you know, she's trying to please everybody. She's sort of reserved. Um, you know, she she's kind of there isn't a lot about her that's particularly forceful uh, or commanding, which but, which is by design, of course. Yes. Yes. But as a result of that, it was hard to 
be really like driven by her storyline you know like i i wasn't i i i felt like i was sort of like being pulled along with it as opposed to like wanting to run ahead and see what's going on i man i i i'll be the outlier here because i uh first i'll say uh yeah, what's your let let me in woman in black wakewood then this and then the others um Okay. I love her performance in this because she's doing all the things like she there there is conflict I think in that character and it's brought out through her performance where she is somebody who has to again we're talking about like the step of her lip thing like she has to be mannered she has to keep it together for the kids who are under her charge you know she's always under the watch of uh, Helen McCrory's character Jean you know so she she has to be composed. She has to keep it together. And yet you can tell, I think, like in her eyes and in her manner and in like the the uh, halting speech at times and how she takes pauses, like that there is like there are emotions just boiling underneath. And I and of course, we get to see those uh, a couple of times throughout the course of the movie. And plus the fact that like. You know, most characters have, like, one save the cat moment in, like, the first 15 minutes of a movie. Like, I feel like in the first 10 minutes of this movie, she has, like, 20. Um, I just – and but they don't feel forced. It's just, like, I I just like that character, and I feel so much for that character. And I, I love that there is – that she is – you know, we talked about this earlier, Paul. I think you're entirely right. She is essentially Janet, you know, but she is, like, the 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 light version of Janet, you know, yeah, she is, yeah. she is, she's she the is, angel of like, if, 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 uh, the woman in black's the angel of death, she's like the life, like the angel of life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. And so I, I love her for that. And I, I, I think Phoebe Fox is great. Like I, I, I think it's a very, very subtle performance, but I think it's a damned good one. Yeah. And perhaps I, a better way of putting it, I like Phoebe Fox a lot. I think she's really good in this movie. I don't know that I like the writing for her. I don't know that it was, I don't know. I, I, I can't put exactly my finger on it. Maybe it's because I saw it too recently. Um, but it just felt like a lot of the midpoint of this movie was very much going through the motions. Um, and it wasn't until sort of the latter kind of like once like after the the other little boy dies um and the the little girl is trying to strangle herself and then they there's going to be a bombing and they have to hide that's when it sort of picks back up for me i guess um because then there's sort of like momentum there's something happening that's driving the characters to have to do certain things whereas when they're just in a school and weird things are happening and then at night she hears a sound and she goes investigates it and she sees something and then she goes to bed and then we wake up and we do it again you know that stuff it's it's less about like yeah i get it there's a lot of like emotional character stuff to work through but none of it really gripped me because i was just waiting for it to get to ghost woman stuff (laughs) (laughs) which is 
when where, when the where, hell was because that's why we're watching this movie woman in like, black i don't know yeah like that i guess that was my point is like there's very little woman in black in this woman in black movie i will agree and, that she for being so a it's kind of boring like because it's the short strip that, and and that's why we're here you know what i mean like we're not here yeah. to learn about eve perkins sadness and how she interacts and, and yeah that stuff's important but it should be it should be intermingled with like interesting scary supernatural you know, ghost stuff and and we don't I, get a lot of that and and i found that lackluster i agree with you and i think there is a version of this movie that amps up the woman in black's particip- participation is probably better i guess i just appreciated the fact that like this does harken back to a certain type of ghost story where the ghost is very much in the background. Like, you know, the original movie, the previous movie, and Paul, you've seen the TV movie, so you can attest to this. Like the difference between the TV movie and the, the remake in 2012 or the uh, follow-up adaptation, I guess you could say, is that the 2012 movie, like it, it picks Janet Humphrey up and it beats you over the head with her. It you know throughout the course of the movie it's like hey there she is hey there she is again holy shit she's over there now and oh my god you know it doesn't yeah. stop with her whereas this movie I like that it feels more like an Arthur Macon story or like a ghost story for Christmas or uh, you know th- those great TV movies that Britain had back in like the seventies where the supernatural aspect really does take a backseat to the human characters and what they're going through and how the supernatural and how the haunting complements their story as opposed to becoming their story. You know what I mean? Now I agree with you too, that I think the midsection of the movie does drag. Uh, I, I think it could use a lot of trimming, but well, that's uh, the but, thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. That's, you know, I just appreciated the fact that, you know, the woman in black did recede into the background a little bit more in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're right. And I think that um, you mentioned it earlier, but I think like a much shorter version of this movie, that stuff would work a lot better. And, you know, my favorite version of this story is still that made for TV one. That one's great. And that's that's Easily. as long. That's like an hour and 40 minutes. But Easily the best version. <laughs> but But also the thing that that movie had and the first movie had that this one can't have again by by its own design is the mystery of it all because we know who the woman in black is, you know, we like in that movie, there's like a lot of secrecy and whispering and like, you don't quite know what's going on. And so the townspeople are sort of in on it and they're manipulating things like, so all of the human stuff, there's a cool sort of mystery element to it that this movie lacks because, you know, any mystery involved with the woman in black has already been solved for us. So watching someone figure out why the woman in black is doing what she's doing is less interesting because <laughs> we already I, saw you, that happen. You know what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when she's like, Oh, yeah. she had a kid and it was, t- I'm like, why is this in here? <laughs> like we know like this is not, yeah, we don't need this. Yeah. As an audience, we don't need this. Like as her character, right. she needed to explore it, but we, as an audience, we know you could yeah, have important that I, like, Someone in the town just told her. I I think you're right, and I I agree with you both. I will say this: this neither adds nor detracts a star. It's it's aside from the quality of the movie itself, beyond the fact that I appreciated that, <gasps> unlike a lot of other sequels of this ilk, I appreciated the fact that they didn't feel the need to. Yeah, 
add layers to the mythology to add new revelations regarding the woman in black, you know, that they, that we yeah, didn't have no, to unlock sure. anything further. Like, I'm glad that it was just, Hey, this was a simple haunting before and it remains kind of a simple haunting. You know, she may be a little different. She may act differently, but her origin remains the same. And we don't need to add any more clay to that already perfectly chiseled statue. Yeah, you know, it's, we- she mm-hmm. just needed a scene where she went to a library and looked at microfiche of, <laughs> of Daniel Radcliffe and read an article. And all we had to see was the headline, like, you know, claims that woman in black murdered so-and-so. <laughs> and then she reads the article and is like, oh, that. And then we'd be like, OK, cool. Now she's caught up. Uh, uh, I don't know if that was a thing back then. But, hey, that scene would have been fun. In the future, uh, why would microfiches <laughs> be a thing? <laughs> but uh no they uh i was reading that they had proposed a third woman in black movie that was going to be set in the 80s i saw that too and i was like i no just burn this house down <laughs> yeah I, but i do like the idea uh because jinx you talked about how like the house is a character and like the house has changed in so many years like i like the idea of catching back up with the house every couple decades and seeing like what's different about it and the type of people who are drawn to it and why, like that could be a fun franchise idea. Um, and the unifying killer is like a house kind of, you know, like that's the physical thing that we see, uh, throughout the various generations. It, it's kind of a shame that, that we didn't get to see that play out, but like, I think that could be pretty cool. But also, how much of the house would still be like? It's pretty decrepit. True. Yeah. If no one was taking, I think. I think if it came back, someone would have had to. Like, I think the only way to make a third movie is if in the eighties, especially at that time, someone would have to like bought it and like done up the house nice again. Like, like you know, uh, revamped it a bit and trying to sell it as like, oh, this is such a nice like vacation spot. Restored like in this nice little, or set it in like twenty twenty. It's now an Airbnb. Ooh. <laughs> set it in the year 3500 aliens land <laughs> okay so hear me out found footage woman in black um no sold god no sold. Okay. dash cam two woman woman in black dash cam crossover and yeah. stop recording close laptop <laughs> burn everything to the ground punch kitten um yeah, no, I I think, you know, I think if we were going to get a third movie, it probably would have happened by now. It feels like Hammer is kind of, uh, you know, they they this was not the lucrative franchise that they thought it was going to be. And so that's probably it for it. But uh, I would love to see like a, an anthology show, you know, uh, sure. like imagine something like Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House, but using uh eel marsh as kind of the main location you know um i would love to see something like that do an entire season in hell i mean we could fill in the decades in between this movie and the first one we could fill in the decades that come after uh yeah, i would we're love to see planning on this so or or do just one season where it does all of that at once you have uh intersecting stories throughout time but all set in this house and with that haunting um I don't know. I, I think there is more story to mine with that character. Uh, like the original version, you know, we talked about this at the beginning, the original version of two, where it would have been, um, you know, 
military, uh, mentally ill military, you know, personnel who are housed there, you know, uh, that would be pretty amazing to see. Now, what if the woman in black then started going into children's dreams and taking them over and then we have to get Patrick Wilson involved to come and save the kids? Only if you (laughs) use, um, like, Nightmare on Elm Street imagery and Kate Bush is running up that hill. I still haven't watched the new Stranger Things. I haven't either, but being on social media, I feel like I have. Uh, no, I think because it's the woman in black and Insidious is similar to this woman in black who just wants to fuck with kids. Yeah. I love this shot. That's a great it's shot. A, I mean, again, the cin- cinematography in this movie is. Oh, you can't fault it. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. The production I mean, design. It's so the, well put together. And I just like there's more there's more color to it than the first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ellie, but, you mentioned it best is that the first one's just so dark. <laughs> you can't I mean you can barely see anything. <laughs> like it's it's hard to make things out in the first one at times. Even watching it like you know with the settings on your TV set correctly. It's just it's difficult to make things out. This one plays with shadow and darkness but in a way where everything is always visible and clear. Mm-hmm. Uh so the atmosphere you know, doesn't detract from the viewing experience. And tip of the hat for uh, the director of this too, Tom Harper. He uh, did a good job. Tom did, I think. Well, he's into like yeah. pieces and stuff. Like he also did like War and Peace or something. He did Peaky Blinders. Oh, wow. he's into some period piece stuff. Yeah, and, and don't get my, uh, you know, I know I I was saying some. Uh, expressing some criticisms of the film i would still give it like three stars i I still liked it you know it's it's not by any means a bad movie um it was just you know there's really no way to talk about this movie without comparing it to the first one (laughs) well that's the tricky part about sequels (laughs) yeah right but you know the again and jinx mentioned this earlier but for me the, the greatest compliment I can give it is that it went in a totally different direction. It it did something it like it, it did the difficult thing, you know, cause it could have just been another dude goes to investigate this house. You know, mm-hmm. it would have been very easy for them to just recreate the events of the first one and do it all again. Let's cast and Rupert it, Grint and let's, <laughs> uh, let's put him in that house. Actually, that sounds kind of good. I would watch that. I would Ah, that sounds really good. Let's just do woman in black movies with Harry Potter actors. Yep. You know, they had that conversation though, where uh, they're like, Hey, can we, uh, can we get Hermione in here to play uh, Eve? Can we? She was too big. She got too big. (laughs) She is huge. Yeah. So there was an interesting thing that happened with this film early on in its production. So I noted you know, it was announced in 2012, you know, not long after the release of the first movie, the release and the success of the first film, that they were going to do a follow up. There was that initial synopsis where they talked of being like, a, you know, a, a mental hospital of sorts. Um, and then eventually that changed to children. What's interesting is. Is that a screenplay was written for that movie. It was, uh, you know, written by John Croker, who gets the. uh the credit on this film, although they do this weird stylistic thing with the, the the letters of each name where they kind of fade in and out. What's weird is on his name, the C is almost entirely absent at the end. Look for it. It's they 
if I were that guy, I would be pissed that they mostly credited me as John Roker. So, uh, I don't know. Just... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Croker wrote the script. And well in advance of the movie not only coming out, but possibly going into production, I would have to check the timeline here, they released a novelization of his screenplay as a standalone book. At the time, Hammer was really getting into... Uh, different types of media. I think they sponsored a, uh, a stage play at one point. They were doing audio books, uh, or audio plays, rather. Uh, I think they still do some stuff like that. Um, at a certain point, they got into comic books and sort of dipped their toes into that. And one of the things that they did, they started up a novel line of Hammer-branded books, and it was a mix of uh, novelizations of classic Hammer movies. Uh, weirdly enough, not merely reprints of novelizations that already existed, like in uh, The Return of Frankenstein's case, uh, or the re sorry, The Revenge of Frankenstein, and I think there was a Kronos novel too, but they were also acquiring books and putting them out, um, potentially for adaptation later on, and uh, although a lot of those, I mean, actually, I think none of those actually came to fruition, but one of the books they put out was this novelization of The Woman in Black. There was no two in the title. It was simply called The Woman in Black, Angel of Death, and um, it was written by Martin Waits, who has kind of a different writing style than Susan Hill, certainly, so it's, I don't know, it's just weird that in this day and age of like the internet and social media and everyone wanting to spoil a movie while it's still shooting, while it's still in production and studios do their damnedest to keep a lid on all that stuff. And, you know, uh, uh, sort of engage in trickery on social media and have their actors lie about what elements are actually in the film and so on and so forth. Hammer was just like, you know what, if you want to read the thing, here you go. Like the movie's not going to be out for another two years, but you know what? Knock yourself out. Uh, it's just so weird to me, but I kind of love it. I do too. I love it like a, a petty kind of way. Like, oh, fuck you guys. You're here. Read the fucking script. All right. <laughs> that is pretty great. You write a better script than God. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit too of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lois Duncan's I know we did last summer is very much a young adult staple. And uh, when the sequel to the film adaptation, of course, when the movie came out, they uh, they did a, a movie branded edition of the and book I with the, the cast on it. What's that? I own all of them. Oh, same here. And yeah, they they put out the script uh, for I know we did last summer, but they put it out in the same sort of height and style of paperback as the original one. So if you were to just stroll into a bookstore back in the late 90s, like you could pick up I know we did last summer from Lois Duncan, which at that point would have been a 30 year old novel. But then you have I still know what you did last summer right next to it like it was a companion piece, even though it's from a completely different author. And I just I wonder if Susan Hill bristled at all at that. You know, she wrote this classic novel and, you know, that's the only book version. That's the only version of that story that exists in that medium. Uh, you know, there can be film adaptations. There can be uh, a famous stage play, you know, that's still running to this day, like this long running play. But she wrote the book, right? But now, you know, there is a second book that shares shelf space with The Woman in Black. And, uh, you know, it's written by somebody completely different. It's just strange to me. I think about weird things too often. I've never read the book, but I like the movie. It's, um, the... 
I mean, if you've seen the original TV movie and the 2012 film, like you're that's it's they're both fairly faithful. Like they they deviate in some significant ways. But for the most part, yeah, I would love to see the play. Yeah, the play would be very interesting to see. Because weirdly enough, like the play is the first adaptation that the novel ever had. And it's wildly different structurally. Uh, like they take some big swings with that story that, that are very, very cool. Um, but yeah. Okay. I think it's about that time, gang. The Woman in Black 2, The Angel of Death. Oh. How are we casting this? Because I got to tell you, I'm struggling a little with this one. Like, I, I don't know. Okay, well, I'm still gonna say the actress who played the reptile, um, you know, should still play the woman in black. Like she can reprise her role, even though the woman in black from the 2012 movie did not come back for this one. But whatever. Um, the creepy guy who strangles her. Every ounce of me wants that to be Mike White, who isn't part of Hammer at all. He's just a comedian. <laughs> and. Uh, think he looks like that guy and it could work and i would like to see mike white in something creepy you're not wrong can, not. can uh can ripper be like the bus driver guy who brings him there and like shows up occasionally i feel like everybody we would normally cast should be the bus driver it's like who's going to be the bus driver uh oh. michael ripper but also peter cushing maybe christopher lee just uh yeah everybody just bring it <laughs> everybody even though she doesn't really like look like her um, I just think of like Barbara Shelley as the Eve character hmm. would be cool. I think she, cause she's so she, she could give such like a, like a nuanced introspective performance that I think she could really pull that off. She could, I could see a lot of similarities between the two. Um, yeah. Who would play? Who would play Harry? That's hard. That's so hard. <laughs> I don't know. Who would play Harry? The best I can figure is that you get the guy who uh, uh, who played Hans in Frankenstein Created Woman. Get Robert Morse to play mm. him. Okay. Strap it. Yeah. 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 I could see that. Um what about and it's a different uh, it's a different direction is don't the say problem. Ralph Bates don't say I wasn't going to say Ralph Bates I wasn't Ralph I really I, honest to God hand to God was not going to say Ralph Bates <laughs> I was thinking Francis Matthews uh, remind me so like Charles Kent in uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness or oh uh, okay he was also in Rasputin Mad Monk yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's just kind of a like a young, handsome, charismatic guy who has the ability. He didn't play a character quite like Harry, but I could see him as an interesting love interest. And I like and he's a very like like a sort of charismatic British dude. And I, I think he it would be really cool to see him kind of emasculated at the end. I think that would work well for him. Mm. Yeah. He needs to be taken down a peg. 
Uh, by the way, we were talking blind guy. Like, that's got to be Patrick Troughton, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the problem with Barbara Shelley is Eve is she could also play the Gene Hogg character really well. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Any role. But, but, like, she would be so good as, like, a repressed, like, I don't know. She could just nutty professor this and play all the female roles. Or, you know what? If we're doing the whole Prince of Darkness thing with uh, Francis Matthews, what if you brought in Suzanne Farmer as Eve and Barbara Shelley played Jean? Because that's kind of a similar dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Just a thought. Just a thought. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed. Uh, I'm just, I'm wrestling with it. Part of me wonders if, and I know she's kind of a go-to, but for good reason, like, and Paul, to your point, like, she doesn't necessarily look like Phoebe Fox, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying in spirit, like Veronica Carlson. I was thinking Veronica Carlson, too, that I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to say it, though, because I feel like I always say no, I mean, Carlson. throw it out there. Throw it out there. I like for Yeah, I mean, she she could do it. I could totally see that. Yeah, different. It'd be. But I like this. I like that the flavor is different with these people. You know, it, it alters the movie a bit. But in a good way. Yeah, I could see her like if you put Veronica Carlson up against anybody's gene, she's not going to wither as much. I don't think, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Huh. Hmm. This is very Hellraiser, too. And I don't know why it just is. That's my favorite Hellraiser movie. It's a great one. Um you know, it's weird. I was actually thinking of Hellraiser 2 this past week when I thought that during my opening, uh, I was going to have to explain myself why I uh, why I went ahead and watched Dashcam. And the only thing that I could come to was uh, Dr. Shenard's line from uh, 2 where he's like, I have to see. I have to know. <laughs> you have to know. I, you know, what's funny, Jinx, is as much as I was, you know, saying I wasn't going to watch it. I think I probably would have watched it because I generally like screen life movie. It's a screen life movie kind of right. Sort of. It is, but it's one that cheats wildly. Like they call it dash cam, but it's like, you could have called it 50 other fucking devices that they weren't yeah. okay. using. In All, the right. Movie. All right. It's like an open windows movie. Where somehow so can... let me ask you this. Is it, is it um, presented kind of like spree is. Spree was good though. Spree, well, spree is, is good, but I mean, so... is it shot in that way? Where like no, I tell you, between... I tell you what happens is that it's a dash cam flick to a certain point. But once they get out of the car, it's keep that going. the worst criticism you ever heard of the Blair Witch Project. Like it comes nothing close to what happens in this movie where they shake the ever living fuck out of the camera. Do they grab the dash cam and then do stuff with it? I kind of there's, you what know, they, they leap from like uh, it just. It's so very, and here's the thing, as a character, she is so fucking disgusting and awful, and I'm not even talking about her political views, like, they do this thing that I'm sure they thought was oh so fucking precious, but anytime she's scared, or on the run, or in distress, um, she shouts obscenities, but it's stuff that, like, it's not just swear words, it's like the worst shit that you could think of. Like, uh, I mean, there's one, God, I would hate to like 
get this wrong because I wouldn't want anybody to think that I could just improv this shit immediately. But for example, like, you know what? Actually, no, we're talking about a classy hammer film. I'm not going to repeat some of the shit that she said, but it's the worst (laughs) juvenile. It's like the worst juvenile, like, uh, weird little douchebag you knew in high school who's trying to impress everybody by saying every swear word and horrible thing that comes to mind. Um, It's awful. It's truly, truly awful. That sucks. Huh. Come on. Well, I, well, anyway, I will not watch it now. Uh, Like you have solidified it to the point where I honest to God, don't think I'm ever going to watch it. Here's the thing. My, my fear is, is that with my rant at the very beginning, because I'm this way and I can't fault anybody for this, but when a movie creates such a an extreme reaction, even though the person telling me not to watch something, it probably has my best interest at heart and doesn't want me to watch it. And I probably shouldn't watch it. If somebody has that kind of extreme reaction, I got to tell you, like, I kind of want to watch it. I kind of want to see for myself. I have to see. I have to know. You know, I genuinely do not want anybody to watch this movie. Don't see it for yourself. Don't forget dropping the six bucks it's going to take you to rent on VOD or the 15 or 20 it would take to buy the DVD or Blu ray later on. I'm talking about loss of life here. Yeah. Life's too short. Money elsewhere. Yeah. Like, it, you don't need to devote 90 minutes of your life to that damn movie. Oh, I'm not going to watch it then. And if you do, because I know there are people out there listening who are like, (laughs) I'm going to watch it anyway. I'm going to do it. Then let me tell you this. If you do give it a shot, there's going to come a point early in the movie when you're like, oh, this is terrible. I wonder if it gets any better. Should I keep watching? Let me tell you, it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. (laughs) Go ahead and tap out. You gave it a shot. You can move on now. Fair. I love the uh, all of the causeway stuff in this movie is so great. Oh yeah, like the little uh, flying yeah. behind Harry early on when he was driving the bike, and just the way. I mean, it's such a damn good looking film. I I really do like the 2012 movie. I do, but. Yeah, Ali, you're right. Like it, it was, you know, everything was just cast in the darkness. Whereas this one, like it's, it's every frame is almost like a painting. Well, and like everything is physically there, you know. Like there's not a lot of like CGI creation in this movie, which I really appreciate. Like I yeah. watched the little making of. I mean, it wasn't much. There's like a 15 minute making of on the Blu-ray. Um, but like, it really gave you a sense of like how much they created, like all of the set design and like they shot on this actual causeway where like every four hours the tide came in. So they had to like, you know, stop filming. And it was this, it was a hassle. It was a hassle to make the movie, <laughs> but they did it and it, it's, everything is physically there. So it, th- there's a sense of place, um, and practicality to it that, that really makes the movie feel I don't know, more impactful in that way. Like the first one we complained about sort of the CGI feel of it. Like the fog felt very digital and it often took away from some of the, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere it was trying to build. Um, I like that. And again, I like that movie a lot. Um, But I do think this one learned from some of those mistakes. Um, 
and you know made the place more of a, a, a have a stronger presence in some ways than the first one did i do love the fact that they have eve and i'm not saying i agree with the assessment at all but just as a shorthand we'll say i like that they have eve kiss the coward and not the hero like we waited all the way until that moment for him to actually reveal his true self before she actually you know kisses him i just i don't know i think that's a neat moment yeah mm-hmm. well like the truth is more attractive than the lie and i do love the set too but again you know paul you were talking about how this movie you know it should have done more with the the sort of war parallels and but to me like i i love the idea that you know they they escaped the city they escaped the blitz and where did it lead them it led them to hunkering down again and possibly eventually here in a few minutes like being under threat of bombing once more you know it's it's the idea that like no matter where you go like war is going to find you in that world you know yeah right and i'm not saying it doesn't do anything with war um i just i don't know i felt like it wasn't I feel like the war stuff comes up when it's when it's like necessary for the plot. You know, like I, I, I didn't feel like the it was always sort of like present in the way that maybe I was hoping it was. I, I think a good comparison would be like and it's funny because I brought up Del Toro earlier by comparing it to Crimson Peak. Um, but I think about like Devil's Backbone. Ooh. Where it's a bunch of kids, you know, trying to go about their business and there's a unexploded bomb in the middle of their like playground or something, you know, essentially. And so the threat and presence of war and, and that was a movie that takes place during like the Spanish Civil War. Um, but the threat and presence of war is like always there. And it's also a ghost story, right? So they're sort of haunted by a spirit that's, you know, questionable whether or not it's malevolent. Um, But I think that movie is a good example of one that, like, the allegory is ever present without maybe, like, hitting you over the head like a frying pan. Whereas this one, I don't even know that I would call her an allegory for war, even though it just feels like she should be. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Yeah, I felt like they should have leaned more into her being an allegory for war. Or just, you know, she's an allegory for you don't get to have kids. Kids must die. <laughs> yeah, I, I I get that. And I think that would have been a valid approach. I don't know <laughs> that it had to be that. It surely wasn't. I, I, I just, I like the idea that there are essentially three spaces that these characters exist in throughout the course of the movie. And they're never safe at any turn, you know, and there are three very, very different places, but it's, you know, there are three different threats that follow them, I think in a way, uh, well, arguably two, but I don't know. I guess it goes back to like, I, I think if we were going to make the woman in black more of an allegory, then I think we would have to pull her out of the shadows a little bit more. We would have to get her more involved in the plot. And again, it would have been totally valid. I just, me personally, I kind of appreciated the fact that they sort of relegated her to the shadows in this. They could have given her like a little Hitler mustache. I mean, that would have. <laughs> <laughs> Springtime for Janet. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was the best idea in the world to take these children to a fake Air Force base that purely exists to be bombed. Maybe that wasn't the smartest well, yeah, move. I, but I do like, I mean, it is a sound decision in that, well, of course it's going to be safe. It's out in the middle of nowhere. I'll just not fire up the baskets, you know? And then as soon as they get there, the woman in black being an asshole is like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fire up all the baskets. Let's go ahead and just crank the intensity up to 11. All these I places. do like the real fire. The real fire is very hammer. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice yeah, to see? It is nice. Yeah. Am I a fucking pyromaniac or like? No, I'm into it. I need real fire. Well, I mean, is it really a hammer movie if there isn't fire at the end? I mean, there was fire at the end of the quiet ones, but yeah. Yeah, that one was, was a real hammer. It was, but it was not real fire. That was more of a CGI fire. CG Inferno. <laughs> Don't know what that was. Just gonna go with it. Like Disco wow. Inferno with CGI. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Allie. I didn't. I didn't actually want to say it after like warbling that, but I'm glad that you picked that up. Now I no. feel better. I need all the listeners that the reference. I don't like these weird planes. I like am not a plane person, and I'm like, ooh. And I also don't know plane history, so I'm like, are these? They're not flyable, right? No, no, no. They're decoys. They're decoy planes. Or, yeah. yeah, he. I don't even. They like talk it. about it a little bit, like that. It's they're fake, so that way, they'll sort of from the they're sky. Him. So they're fire planes, is what they are. Yeah, I did. I did like the reveal that he was sort of put there because you know he was a coward well he was labeled as such i thought that was a interesting... for war you're a coward yeah and it's like i liked the Harry character thing, was so. was really interesting to me i liked him quite a bit i wanted more of him in a way okay but, we're back to yeah. hellraiser 2 i didn't like that jump scare I, here's the thing, it, I I didn't either, but I appreciated the fact that it wasn't CG. Like, it was done practically, they did it with, like, ramping shutter speeds. I, I thought that was kind of cool. I Actually, yeah, I, uh, in the, the special features thing, they showed, like, how much work, too, went into making the woman in black in this. Because, like, she is... And, and But then, doesn't... When you see all that stuff, doesn't it frustrate you that they ruin it by, like, putting her in this like CGI filter though. Like yeah. they do all this work to make her look amazing. They're like, Oh, we have all these fine layers to show her decomposition and all this shit. And then when you see her, it's like through this very digitized CGI fog. And you're like, just show us the just makeup you did. Like, why are you ruining it? <laughs> ah, Hey, I'm stepping away for just a moment. Cool. Okay. Ellie, we can finally talk about how good Dashcam is. Oh my god, Dashcam. Perfect. I loved Dashcam. As a personal actor myself, I'm like here for it. <laughs> anyway. Oh my god, please I do... don't think of an anti vaxxer. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally triple vaxxer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was gonna say I do like this third act a lot. Like I, I am a big fan I... of how it concludes. It picks up in the third act. Like, it just, it was the middle part where it was just a lot of walking and talking that 
Yeah, right, right. It, it was. It was a lot of like people sitting around in a house talking. And I'm like, that's fine in some contexts, but not in a movie about an evil dead woman. Yeah, like I just need more of the. Also, I'm curious, like, why? I would have liked a prequel to this movie. Not to this one, to the original Woman in Black. Like, who is the Woman in Black? What's her story? Let's give a whole movie to her. It's mm, not a bad idea. Make her, like, very sympathetic. Yeah, because then she becomes very unsympathetic, and you're like, well, where's the turn? Uh, well, like, what if you did... Okay, so what I was thinking <clears throat> was that what if you treated this like The Godfather 2? And since we have Eve Parkins, whose story kind of sort of parallels the woman in blacks, what if like to liven up that middle section and to like give us the story again without just doing what the first movie did, you actually go back and show what happened to her in flashbacks as the Eve Parkins character is learning about her. Yeah, because then you would have her in the story more, even if she's not like a yeah that you need yeah. for jump scares like you'd actually Wouldn't give that, a- i think that would work much better like and that that could like fit you could do basically the same movie but like show us her story right and then she's present in in the movie without being in the present day yeah and i feel like i like when a sequel does if you're gonna do a sequel and bring that same kind of like haunted element back let's explain it more let's give it more of a, a gravitas like who were they? Yeah. Who were they? Like, who Who were they? I also thought it was a missed opportunity when she was listening to those recordings to have Daniel Radcliffe's voice in there. Like, oh, yeah, maybe she could have found, like, something he recorded. That would have been cool. There are a lot of ways to give him a cameo in this movie that they really overlooked. Yeah. And that's yeah. truly the same. Like, I know he's super popular, but, like... I think he would have done. He seems like a cool guy. Yes. I mean, like, he does so much not mainstream films like um, like Swiss Army Man and yeah. Guns of Kimbo. And... Yeah. He was really good in that Lost City. Did you see that? No, and I have to see it. So honestly, I might go see it, like, next Wednesday. It's still playing in theaters here. Oh, okay. It's on, like, Paramount Plus for me. <laughs> Paramount Plus. I don't know if we can... Well, I don't know if we get that in Canada. I mean, we might. Paramount Plus is pretty great, actually. I watch a lot of shit on there. We need more. I want, like, Hulu and Pe- I want Peacock so bad, but, like, for some oh, reason. Peacock, Peacock's good, for the most they don't, part. They don't want to like, give Canadians Peacock, and I'm like, what yeah. the hell? The problem with Peacock is every once in a while you have to endure, like, a fire starter. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I watched that, and I was so mad at so much. Uh, yeah, that movie. And, like, I, I just wanted more. I wanted, like, her mom dies, and she watches it, and it doesn't affect her at all, but then the cat thing 12 hours later was like, well, let's teach you about death. And it's like, what? She just learned about death. Her mom died over. Yeah. And then being like, now you have to mercy kill this cat. And she's like, cool, and sets it on fire. I'm like, that's not a mercy killing. Like, snap its neck. <laughs> Don't just let it that's so cruel i would yeah i would definitely call it like a cruel killing mercy killing would be quick and not painful you uh i want you all didn't talk about dash cam while i was gone did you no 
Nope. Nope, not at all. Not once. You're oh, talking about Firestarter. I, oh, I, I pitched like 40 a couple and... ideas and yeah, we did get to Firestarter by the end. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I gave it 40 well, minutes. I'm that we don't have Peacock in Canada. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what it was. <laughs> That's the mercy. Uh, by the way, on the way back in, I grabbed a box of Nestle Smarties, which I don't think we have here in America. So, Allie, thank you for sending them. I'm going to try them on air now. They're like M&M's, but different. M&M's, but different. Like just like a, like a Maybe I'll eat the uh, Kit Kat popcorn bar after we're done recording before bed. Paul, I, don't know if I, need a, I don't know if I need a candy bar before bed, though. You need that one. Not need a candy mistake. bar. Hey, this is interesting. It's like M&M's, but the shell is thicker, so there's more of like a crunch. Yeah, like I like I like Smarties. I like M&M's. Oh, Smarties doesn't do what M&M's does, where M&M's has all the different like peanut butter and pretzel and whatever. I'm like, Smarties is like, hey, we came up with a good idea and we're sticking with it for 20 years. I'm crunching here right now. This is, this is pretty good. I like it. Good. We can hear your crunching. Yeah, right into the microphone. Is this what they call ASMR? Because I don't think I would like it if so. Well, I mean, people don't often chew. It's a lot of like low whispers and talks. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> J- <laughs> Jinx is like, I could, I could, I could do that. I get it. Yeah. I get I it like now. The low whispery talk. But they also do ones where they like will t- grab stuff and be like, I'm playing. And that's all you would hear is like stuff like that, and you're like, I don't know if I like this. Paul's ASMR is just like rolling around empty beer cans and bottles, <laughs> having them clink. And I that's guarantee you, right, there's an audience my... for that. Guys, you ready for my ASMR? So Do far. it. Love it. That was Love it. it. Margot Robbie. Uh, subscribe to my Patreon. It's five dollars a month, and uh, you can get a lot more of that. Margot Robbie does one where she just holds up toast to a microphone and spreads Vegemite on it. So you hear that like scraping of a knife against bread. Margot Robbie. Class act, that lady. I like when she explained the uh, housing crisis while drinking champagne in a bathtub in that one movie. Oh, and. The Big Short? No. The Big Short. Yeah, that's it. Short. Oh, that would be so good. It's a good movie. I feel like Paul, you know, what with you rattling everything around there just then, I just... Not only do I wonder this of The Woman in Black, not only do I wonder this of Janet Humphrey, I wonder this of every Hammer villain there's ever been. If they just drank more... Yeah. Do you if- think they would be... Such assholes, like no, well, they're just black. Well, maybe bigger assholes. Some people get mean when they drink. True, yeah. true. Right. Some people have a have a temper. See, me personally, I get really chill. Like, I just get really loud. I get, I get. Well, it depends on the context. Like if I'm with my friends or something, or at a bar, like I do get pretty loud. Uh, but generally, these days in my in my older age, I just kind of get just more and more chill. <laughs> Okay, I I dig the movie, I really do, but there is something wonderfully comic about this moment. 
Like yeah. she's stamping on the floor and then she finally stops like I give up and then the floor well, gives way beneath her. She's it. like it's... one of the robbers in Home Alone. <laughs> 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 totally. Like the woman in black set like Kevin McAllister traps for her. <laughs> Even that, I want to humanize the woman in black here. Like I, I want to give her a beer and I want her to be in the shadows watching Eve plummet yeah. an entire floor. And just imagine a woman in black <laughs> she, in the background yeah. going like, she shows up in the doorway. She's like, you give up or are you thirsty for more? And then runs and jumps over a tripwire that she doesn't see and that she trips. You know, it's funny that every other time we see her in this movie, it is like Kevin McAllister shaving and slapping alcohol on his face. It's that same look. You're right. You're not wrong. Is. You're right. So this movie is just home alone. Okay, I get it now. And indeed, she is home alone. You know, from her point of view, they're the intruders. Like, she's in the right here. Yeah. I mean, they went she's, to her house. Paul, you've said this about Texas Chainsaw. You know what? She's just defending her homestead. That's all she's doing. That That is true. That's my favorite version of Leatherface. When he's just like, hey, what you? I'm scared. You're in my house. Go away. <laughs> or I'm going to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> he's not that bad of a guy. No, it's fine. We were in his space. Yeah. And he's killing them anyway. He might as well make them into like masks and clothing. Their skin yeah, and stuff. Yeah, have to use every part of the body. Otherwise, yeah. it's wasteful. It's just... I do love the callback here with uh, Eve telling him to push out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I love that Eve's approach is... You know, to to sort of, even though she doesn't necessarily do this in her own life, she recognizes that it is the best thing to do um, to confront like the pain and to push it, you know, to push it out with better memories. And as opposed to bearing it simply, which is what Gene wants him to do, you know. Yeah. Um, and I love that that ultimately kind of winds up saving him. Well, momentarily anyway. Now, I will ask you both this. Given the ending of this movie and the fact that they made it so far beyond, like, you know, Eel Marsh and Crith and Gifford, they made it all the way back into the city. They've clearly set up elsewhere. The city is being cleaned up, and we can talk about that here in just a minute. Um, the woman in black is glimpsed in Eve's apartment at the end. What do we think that means? Do you think that, you know, she and the boy are still kind of on the chopping block, or do you think Eve is right in that somehow, some way, Harry is watching over them, and the woman in black is meant to be kept an arm's length from them forever? Hmm. I think it means that a studio executive <laughs> at the very <laughs> end said, we have to have a jump scare at the end, so yep. put that in your movie. That's what I think it means. Okay. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, if you if you have to contextualize it into the the narrative, I I guess it means they're not safe. <laughs> they're they're kind of screwed no matter what. You can't escape her. I, I mean that's how I would take it, but I don't know. Does don't know. that mean that the woman in black can now live out in the world? Or are they just personally haunted? Well, maybe it's what like in um, Insidious before. where it like follows you. Like, you know, if a ghost latches onto you, it just kind of follows you. But then why didn't that happen in the first one? Oh, I guess he died. He it died. Did at the end. Yeah. 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 No, that's that. He, he makes sense. Yeah. So I think it's more like she's attached to them until 
she kills them and then. But what if they you know, don't ever die and someone starts living in the house again? Does she have to make the decision? Like, do I keep haunting these bitches? Do I go haunt these new bitches? This is what well, she's like a ghost that's really good at multitasking. So like she can, she can sort of like simultaneously haunt. <laughs> that would be my answer in the third film. My take. I do like his little sweater. His he little blue sweater. I do like that the world is kind of righted here in in several ways. I hope that that final moment doesn't mean that they're uh, they're doomed. I hope that Eva's right because you know everything everything is had a full arc here. Like even down to Britain, you know. I mean the 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 coward, as it were, died a hero. The 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 child who lost his parents now has a mother. The mother who lost her child has a child. The the city has been returned to some sort of sense of normalcy. Like it's. It's an earned ending, I think. Is the are we meant to think that the war is over? That I don't that think much that time has passed. I mean, is it's it... definitely post blitz. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And I do because yeah, the war couldn't possibly be over. No, I mean, only... it hasn't been three years. <laughs> the yeah, kid's still a kid. <laughs> I'm sure there's some stitching done here, but I do love this wonder. Like pulling out of the window. Me too. I, I actually wrote. Him. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I just wrote that in my notes that it was my favorite shot of the movie. It's a beautiful shot. It reminded me of something that, like, if this were in an old Hammer movie, we would be like raving about. Like, how you know? Oh, look at this! This this great crane shot oneer that you never see. But yeah, you're right, Jinx. I'm sure there's there's some digital stitching. Maybe not, though. Maybe not. I mean, maybe he Hitchcocked it, you know? Or or Argento'd it. We're still in the war, but the Blitz only lasted through 41, right? I don't know history that well. I I don't know when it ended. I I, I would would guess that's probably accurate. 41 or 42. Okay, so... Okay. uh, Because the U.S. entered the war... Oh my oh, go god, could you imagine this? The Blitz lasted for eight months and five days. Eight months of shelling. Eight months, uh, wow. Oh, it was from September 7th, 1940 through May 11th, 1941. Okay, alright. That's too much. That's horrible. That's so bad. War is... John Roker. I'd be so pissed if I were that guy. Like, come on, yeah. don't, don't fuck with my name. Look at all these other names. They look fine. Oh, yeah, I was say, they all look fine. Why Why was his name the one to get fucked with? Was the editor like, ooh, is it Roker or is it this? Maybe they didn't like his script. Yeah, they were like, screw you. He like pissed off someone in the editing suite and he was like, fuck you, man. Same with Javier Martian. It's kind of a... I do it's like... Got, it's got a bit of a James Bondish. <laughs> Like the slow motion, yeah. like body moving. <laughs> okay, so I think we've already talked at length about it, but overall, I feel like I probably like the movie the most, but neither of you hated it. You're just kind of like, is this, Paul, you said three stars, right? Yeah. I'd give yeah. it three out of five. Allie, how about you? I give it an A minus. Oh, wow. Okay, that's still pretty great. Uh, I mean, 
new hor like new hammer stuff. I yeah, it. I mean, I've I, the thing is, I've just really liked most of the new Hammer movies. Yes, yeah, you know what I mean. Like most of them have just been really good. Like, is it so... weird to say that even though you know it's funny we were talking about doing our top five or top ten lists, I don't know that many of the new Hammer movies are going to make it. Uh, uh, much, as I, much as I love them, but I will say, as far as having like a solid run, I think New Hammers what. Uh, tenure was it tenure say uh, I think Hammer New Hammer's tenure run was probably stronger consistently than any ten years of old Hammer even though a lot of old mm. Hammer you know had like well I mean for example like if you go from <laughs> fifty seven to sixty seven right like yeah I mean that's a there, pretty there are going to be some amazing run. there are going to be some masterpieces in there. But there's also going to be a curse of the werewolf. So, um, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, there's also going to be a top this... three best all time <laughs> Hammer movie in there. Yeah, there is. This, uh, this was all our, our rankings are going to be really different. I think they're going to be all over the place. Actually, it's going to be exactly the same except for that movie. That's pretty much what's going to boil down to. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're wrong about that because you don't know what the obstruction is. And I'm actually you, kind of okay. Kidding. The only obstruction that I'll be pissed about is if you tell me there can only be one Terrence Fisher movie. That'll uh, that'll be that is that is not the obstruction. Okay. Well, then I'm fine. Yeah, my list is. I'm, I'm totally fine. We, that, here's the thing. Uh, I guess I need to tell you both in advance because otherwise, yeah, you can't really tell us. On the yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, what I could have told you is, yeah. is like, okay, gang, make a top twenty-five. And then I'll introduce the obstruction, but forget that. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw this out there and you're both going to, okay. But here's the thing. If you let me tell you this, then there is no backing down from this. We have to do this, but I think you both are going to be on board. Once you hear. I, I accept the terms. Yeah. Allie, I, I, I need your thumbs up too. Uh, can you see my thumbs up? Uh, I cannot. Well, I can because I'm spying on you. Um, knew it. Talk about this in DMs. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, aren't you like spying? The obstruction is, we do our top. Let's go ahead and make a ten. We're gonna do our top ten, ten Hammer films. Yep. And we have to admit, omit. Uh, I actually meant omit, but I said it sounded like admit. You know what? It's it's late. I'm tired. We have to admit every. Dracula and Frankenstein film. So, <laughs> so no Dracula, okay. no Frankenstein. No Dracula. So no not even one. We're not even picking no. one to represent. Nope. But what nope. about like Lust they are easily the most recognizable. Yeah, that's actually. Film. I yeah. kind of like that because because you know it's like people know of those movies. Exactly. They don't need to hear us say go watch Dracula. <laughs> They know to watch Drake. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And that takes up because otherwise our spots will all be filled. Because I was I was gonna just pick one from each franchise to represent my favorite. I was so like, too ultimately, like I know I was joking about saying I was gonna take up one spot. I was gonna try and play fair and do that, but I also know that that would have driven me a little nuts. So by doing yeah, this, it yeah. takes away that pain. Yeah, okay, done. I agree. And I I actually, and I joked about, oh, there can only be one Terrence Fisher, but at the same time, I don't want my list to only be Fisher movies. 
So I probably will purposefully try to choose, you know, a bit of a something representing each of the core directors. You know, I like I want a Don Sharp on there. You know, I want a Don Sharp is so good. He is. I want a Gilling. You know, I want I want multiple directors to be represented. So. Um, and, and, and actually you mentioned, you joked about it with the new ones, but a part of me thinks like, I, I kind of want at least one new one on there to represent new hammer. Oh, oh I, I might have two or three. It just won't be like, there probably won't be more than that. You know what I mean? But no, I, could, I, 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 I a think oh, a couple that, oh man, a couple, like three, that's, I can see that's three, a lot actually, but the reason uh, three of the 10, possibly i was yeah. just dude that there's 30 years of hammer movies. but we're but <laughs> we're, we're talking removing, about 10 keep in mind who you're talking to we're removing all dracula and frankenstein movies too yeah that's true yeah we don't want to give it away right now i i, I uh can i ask a question and this yeah. is this is the other thing that i think we should clarify is it okay for the top 10 to expand into some of the thrillers and mini hitchcocks can I include those? Uh, this is maybe a longer conversation, but I wonder if we shouldn't stick to movies that we covered. Okay. Okay, is I, it just... Because just... there are some I would put on there, 100%, that we didn't cover. That Then we should definitely omit them. And not just to... Not because that's a jab at you, but I think because, like, much in the same way as, like, the Dracula and Frankenstein movies, like... It'll make it easier, and plus it'll be more uniform with what we actually did on this show. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you put cash on demand in your top ten, but we never actually well, covered yeah. the show. I like... wouldn't. Here's the thing: I wouldn't put that one on there because it's not horror, right? right. Like, but like, so I probably would have put Paranoiac on there, and like that to me is like, even though it's not considered one of their core horror movies, like I I feel like it sort of is one. Like it's it's definitely a proto slasher, like. You know what I mean? Even though it wasn't, I don't know. So it's one of those ones I really struggle with. But mm. yeah, I, for the purposes of the list, I'll I'll keep it to what we've covered. Okay, are we seeing no Dracula or no vampires? No Dracula. We can oh, do you can any do other vampires. vampire. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I was like, well, I need Vampire Circus to be on this list. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, for me, like, well, yeah, I won't say it because I don't want to spoil. But there's definitely a vampire movie. You can definitely put less for a vampire. Movies. How did you ever do a musical? How did you know? I, uh, you know what? I, I'm fond of Lust for a Vampire. It's not a good movie, but I like it. I I like it. It's colorful. There's a. I have uh, I have Strange Love on my playlist. I just rock that baby out every day. (laughs) It's a jam. (laughs) That song's a banger. It's a banger, as the kids say. It slaps. Oh, God. Okay, yep, we're into this one. Okay, everyone. Allie, final, Paul. Sh- final thoughts, right? Yes. Or do we already do that? I think we kind of did that. Um, okay. So I'm just going to wrap it up here. I think we all overall liked the movie, which is cool. It's a little further down the list of New Hammer, but still worthy of the Hammer brand, I believe. So, Allie, Paul, why don't you tell everybody out there where they can find you at online and what they can keep an eye out for from you in the future. Uh-huh. Well, you Allie. can find me at the Alley Chapel across all platforms, except for Facebook for the next 24 hours. And 
<laughs> if anyone happens to be in Houston between July 22nd and July 24th of this year, my short film Verified is playing at the Houston Horror Film Festival. Woo! And that's it. I'll be in a music video scene that should be out in the coming months. That's going to be very fun. And I'll tell you guys privately later nice. about all the cool stuff that's going to happen. Cool, cool. But cool fact, I'm going to get my face covered in bees. What? Yeah. Real bees all over my face. That's why oh, I took man. the job. Uh, they better have given you like the Tony Todd treatment where, uh, you know, for every bee sting that you get, you get like a thousand bucks. Okay, well, that's not going in my rider. My exactly. rider at this point was just someone at some point needs to bring me a baked potato. Could you imagine <laughs> somebody who's like, I imagine Tony Todd signing on the dotted line right on set, right before they put those bees on him. Like, okay, for every sting, I get like a thousand bucks or whatever. Then they pour the bees on him. And then he just starts like antagonizing the hell out of him, trying to collect as many <laughs> bee stings as possible. Made another 250 grand on this movie. I'm disfigured now, but I'm set for at least yeah, a he year. He just like purposely pisses <laughs> off the bees. <laughs> he just in his face while they're on him. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Uh, I love the fact that you get to work with real bees, though, because when I was uh, I was talking with uh, Bernard Rose, I interviewed him about his Candyman sequel that never came to pass. And one of the things that he mentioned is that I guess here in the States, um, you cannot film with real real bees anymore. Like not the way they did with the original Candyman, because it's considered animal cruelty, which and I think he's right. He was just kind of like, which I don't get. He was like, there's any cruelty. It's towards the humans, you know, <laughs> potentially. So. I don't know. I think that's neat. I CGBs are just kind of meh, but they're not I, good. Yeah, like, I don't know. but that's awesome. Congrats, Allie. I can't wait to I'm see it. Excited. I kind of want them to give me like a beard of bees at the same time, but they were like, hey, not for the music video. I'm like, hey, but after the music video, if we're just hanging out with the bees. Can you just cover my whole like chin and chest with them? Have you, uh, you both have seen Jackass Forever, right? Oh, yeah. That B scene is. Uh, oh, we didn't talk oof. about that. I've I've now seen all the Jackass movies. Have you seen the one that went up on Netflix? Four point five. No, I haven't watched any of the point fives. It's good. oh man, that's some of the best stuff in the point fives. You guys, I watched four Jackass movies for you. That's <laughs> more. I think Paul, that's more than enough. <laughs> Paul, you watch them for you, and I'll just say, I... doesn't it annoy you a little bit to know that you haven't actually completed the series? God, Does that bug you just a little like, bit? I gotta watch like a bunch of. There's a bunch of point fives. All four there of is, them have point five. No, no, no. There's no such. I don't think there's a one point five. I think it starts with two point five, three point five, and then four point five. Yeah. That's three more movies. Yeah. And, and seasons of a team. <sighs> and bad grandpa. I watched and, bad grandpa. Oh my god. And bad grandpa one point five. And uh, what? Oh, uh, what was it called? Uh, <laughs> that movie they did that was based on that class action. Oh, uh, yeah, something point. Um, Danger point, maybe? It was a jackass thing? It was. I don't think officially it was. But he Uh, got hurt. It was Knoxville and Pontius, but... Oh, okay. Okay, but... I I liked him. I liked... uh, Forever was funny. It was... was, Yeah, there there were things. I think three was my favorite. Yeah, three's good. Two's good, too. I like two, but three felt like an ending. And I liked that. And I liked at the end of three when they like showed pictures of them when they were younger. And like it, it just kind of felt like a conclusion in a way that I enjoyed. But all right, Paul, how about you? 
you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Paul is great 2000, where I tweet about horror movies and stuff. It's fun. All right. Thanks you both for co-hosting as always. And as always, thanks all you listeners out there. Uh, please be, no, you know what? I'm not going to say as always again. I know I do that, but I fucked it up. So I'm just going to barrel through. Mm-hmm. Damn it. I got to do it. Fuck. All right, here we go. Going to ramp up again. Let's just forget the last minute happened. I'm going to leave it in there. Not going to cut it. Okay. Just going to flex a little bit. Crack my neck. <clears throat> Don't crack your neck. That's the worst thing you should do right now. Yeah, exactly. You're telling me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> as always, thanks to all you listeners out there. Please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I am at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Bye.